Well, it's 737 here on the West Coast, everybody. Saturday night, July 25, year 2015. And Merry Christmas, Patricia. How are you? <laughs> Merry Christmas, Walden. If people are still talking with us after hearing Christmas music forever. But we really do have a special Christmas for everybody tonight. We have a guest tonight, and we've been telling you that Major Bill Grine is going to be joining us. Major Grine is claiming that he's retired, and he's going to do it again, and I don't believe him, but he'll tell us about it when we get to the end. Um, Major Bill Grine is the Marine Toys for Tots Foundation person, and we're just so happy that you could spend time with us again, Bill. How are you? Hi, Patricia and Walden. I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm starting to uh, feel a little pressure. You know, this is the 25th of July, only five months till Christmas. And for a lot of people, uh, that's not uh, that's a lot of time. But when you have to Christmas shop for seven million less fortunate children, uh, it's it's not a lot of time. So uh, uh, we're starting to uh, to feel uh, feel the closeness of the season, believe it or not. I I can believe it. Uh, we were talking about Christmas shopping last week. We, I, I said we're going a little easy on Christmas this year because of so much Christmas music playing. But we did talk a little bit about Christmas last year and Christmas shopping. So this is a good time to be talking with us. We're live tonight. Major Crime, can people call you Bill? It's okay if they call you sure, Bill. Sure, I would prefer uh, that. Okay, great. Bill will be with us on, oh, for at least half an hour. We are live. You can call in with questions. It is July 25th, 2015. So when this replays during the week, you'll know you can't call in live then. 714-545-2071. Bill, instead of asking you specific questions about Toys for Tots and its evolution, if you were introducing yourself to someone how would you describe Toys for Tots to them? Well, it's a 68-year uh, uh, charity run by the Marine Corps Reserve, uh, and it was designed back in 1947, the first year, to fulfill the Christmas dreams of less fortunate children. And unlike many missions uh, of the Marine Corps that have changed over the last 68 years, uh, the mission of Toys for Tots uh, has not changed. Uh, we continue uh, with the uh, objective of fulfilling, fulfilling the Christmas dreams of less fortunate children uh, in our country and helping moms and dads be the heroes, be Santa Claus to, uh, uh, to their children. So we think that Marines have been and are heroes enough uh, but uh, moms and dads might need a little help if they're down on their luck, and uh, that's what we want to do. We want to help them help uh, their children. And you do an extraordinary job. One of the things I like to do, Bill, is reassure people that when they contribute or they find a toy that they can drop off at a center that's collecting toys for tots, that the kids are actually going to be helped by this that it's, you know, something somebody's not just picking up because we've had such a spate of charities this year that are so-called charities that are now having people spend some time in jail. I want you to tell people how 
how effective and how close you are to the margin of how the percent of the donations that go to the kids. Sure. Well, every toy uh, that is donated to us uh, that is new uh, and uh, safe, uh, complete, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we used to take used toys. Uh, we no longer do. We uh, uh, think that there's a, a safety and health consideration uh, involved and uh, what we call the second-class syndrome uh, where – uh, a child, a less fortunate child, might think he or she is only good enough to receive a cast-off toy some, from some other child, and, and that's not so. So we, we uh, only take uh, new toys, and uh, we find homes for them all in 760 uh, communities across the country, uh, and we also raise dollars, and dollars help us buy the toys we need. Uh, in other words, in some communities, we might have a lot of little boy toys and not enough little girl toys. Or we might, uh, and this is the case every year, uh, we get a lot of toys for uh, younger children, you know, maybe 9, 10, and younger, uh, but we never get enough for the preteen and early teen kids. And so when someone will uh, donate, uh, make a cash contribution, uh, that enables us to uh, buy the toys we need uh, in, uh, in the communities, uh, and that's important. It's also important to know that if you make a local donation, uh, your dollars help a local child. And uh, I think uh, a couple things that we're most proudest of is that uh, more than 97% of every dollar donated goes to our mission of getting uh, toys, books, gifts in the hands of, of children. And uh, only, uh, well, slightly less than 3% uh, goes to our cost of fundraising and uh, administrative costs. And, and that puts us among the top charities in the nation in that regard. And uh, not one penny uh, goes to anyone's salary, uh, so it uh, it all goes to uh, to costs that uh, uh, of running a, a, a large charity. Uh, so we're uh, we're proud. We I try to work that into every conversation, uh, and uh, it's important that people know that. Uh, you know, their dollars going where they want their dollars to go to. So is there a foundation that pays the people's salaries? Well, how is it technically for uh, people who... You know, uh, this is an interesting story. Uh, we are endowed, and uh, about 10, 12 years ago, uh, uh, a person, and, and I won't name her name, but uh, she was uh, very wealthy, and she made um, five or six donations uh, for uh, a significant amount of money, uh, you know. And the only charity that thanked her was Toys for Tots. And she also liked the fact that 97% of her donation was going to go to uh, uh, our mission. And so 
she made a significant donation, uh, and I'm talking in the millions of dollars, to Toys for Tots. And she said, I don't want you to buy one toy with this money. I want you to take the interest and pay your salaries uh, with it so that you can continue to, for always to, to have a, um, in 97% or better uh, in your program costs. So she has been very good to us. Uh, we have that endowment, uh, and it, uh, we're using it exactly as she uh, asked us to, to use it. So, Very nice. And it helps us put more dollars into the purchase of toys for, for children. Because Great. you do have expenses. This is not simply sitting behind a desk and making phone calls. You do not, have... Not always. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, let's say, a corporation uh, wants to talk about uh, doing a, uh, you know, conducting a, a cause marketing fundraising uh, program during the Christmas holiday season. Um, they might ask me to fly to Chicago or Los Angeles or, or New York. And, you know, uh, when, when you buy a, a plane ticket or a train ticket or have to stay in a hotel, uh, those are all, uh, and you end up raising funds from that, uh, that corporation or they end up raising funds for you, uh, that's all uh, fundraising costs, and we have to categorize that uh, uh, in, in that way. So mm -hmm. you cannot – it's very difficult to have, uh, uh, to have no fundraising costs at all. How do they actually schedule that with you? Do they book you three months in advance? I mean, let's say if it got to be October and you say, hey, Bill, we want to see you in three weeks, that, that, that might be a little tight. I mean, how – how do you actually plan for something throughout the year like that? Well, you know, uh, most most corporations, you know, are uh, uh, are t thinking about what they're doing at Christmas time uh, long before Christmas. Uh, I've even worked with some corporations that are are talking about Christmas two years in advance, and I've already talked to someone uh, this year about uh, uh, doing something at Christmas uh, in 2016. Uh, so uh, uh, they usually set the, the schedule on when they want to, uh, uh, want to talk. Uh, and we have some corporations that have been back, uh, you know, for a, a number of years, and all they would like to do is to, uh, to meet, uh, you know, like in September, and make sure everything is uh, is all set to go, and uh, you know, and and they know what to do. They're going to run the same program uh, as they have in in recent years. Uh, a good example uh, would be uh, a gentleman up in New Jersey who owns uh, 67 uh, Applebee's restaurants, and they have oh, been. Oh my goodness! They have been. Uh, an unbelievable corporate sponsor uh, for the last 12 years. And uh, um, they uh, conduct a breakfast with Santa uh, where they sell uh, tickets for breakfast uh, on a Saturday morning, uh, the first Saturday of December. 
and we have a Marine and Santa Claus at all 63 restaurants. And, uh, uh, and they also, their servers uh, ask every customer uh, when they're paying their bill if they'd like to add a dollar to the bill for Toys for Tots. And uh, they have done that every year. Uh, they've raised uh, uh, close to $3 million over the, uh, the uh, 11 years that they've been running the program, and it's just an annual tradition for them to do that. Uh, so uh, all we need to do, they, you know, they've got it down. Uh, we just touch base with them, uh, you know, a couple of times uh, during the course of the year to make sure that, uh, uh, that they are, uh, you know, on top of things and that we're on top of things to support their program. So it's really important for some of them to have that face-to-face time or that personal touch that you would yeah. provide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and then if it's a, if it's a, a first-year corporate sponsor, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's much better to just meet face-to-face and, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, work out all the details, know who you're working with, uh, you know, so uh, yeah. uh, it, uh, it just seems to, to work better. And, and you know, and a lot of times the corporation will call me and ask if I could come up and see their operation and, and, uh, and whatnot, and, and it's important for them to have confidence in me and, uh, and, and uh, the Toys for Tots Foundation so that they uh, know exactly uh, who they're, they're working with. So you remember the first one you visited 25 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> I can't even remember what I did 25 minutes ago. So uh, uh, let's how see. How come we were uh, hanging yeah. on your bathroom? Uh, how come we were hanging on your bathroom mirror, huh? That's right. Uh, that, that was his know, reminder uh, note. Was on on the bathroom mirror that he was going I, to talk. I with always him. have have reminders of uh, of significant <laughs> uh, uh, things I need to do. Uh, I put a little sticky note on my uh, uh, my bathroom mirror, so uh, I see it. To, the last thing uh, I, I see before I go to bed and the first thing I see in the morning so that uh, it's on my mind. So, uh, well, I'm very happy that we are on your mind tonight. We're talking with the person who claims to be retired, United States Marine Corps Major Bill Grine, the um, head of the Foundation for Toys for Tots, and we were, we're just so happy that you are with us. You can call. We're live on Friday night, or Saturday night. Walden, you've got me all confused. I know. Um, the Saturday phone, night. The phone and phone. we are at 714-545-2071. Phone been ringing, but I've been talking to people off here. But yes, you want to talk to Bill, just let me know. 714 that and you know great. what, Walton? I just remembered the answer. Uh, the answer hey, to your question. I'm glad. The, the, I think the first corporate sponsor that I remember working with uh, was Wheel of Fortune. Oh wow! And the the TV show, the game yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, My and, gosh. Um, and and we're going back in the 80s now, uh, around 1980. 889, I think, uh, but don't hold me to that. I was still in uniform then, uh, running the program uh, as a Marine major, and uh, uh, Pat C. 
Sajak and Vanna White and uh, and the whole crew uh, had a uh, a couple of guesses, puzzles to guess, and uh, if you called in, uh, all the money that uh, people paid uh, to call in on a 1-800 number or 188 number or something um, went to Toys for Tots, was donated by the phone company and uh, Pepsi, uh, uh, PepsiCo, and Pizza Hut, I think, uh, uh, were involved, and it ended up raising a significant uh, amount of money, and uh, it was, uh, I think, the first uh, first dollars that uh, actually got to, got to the foundation, uh, and uh, and that's uh, that was my my first uh, uh, remembrance, and that even uh, and they made a, a large contribution. They raised over a million dollars, and. Uh, uh, we were involved with uh, former President Ronald Reagan was involved in making the check presentation, uh, Pat Sajak, uh, Merv Griffin, uh, all out uh, in Los Angeles making, uh, uh, getting involved in, in Toys for Tots uh, back then. So it was, uh, uh, it was a, a really exciting thing for, uh, for a small town guy to be uh, in that company. <laughs> <laughs> that is really great. Uh, it's it's a great story. My gosh, what an intricate setup they had there to make everything oh, work. Yeah. Somebody was coordinated, and uh -huh, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. Bill, how many children did Toys for Tots help last, when I say help? You brought Christmas to how many kids? We, uh, last year, was just slightly over 6.8 million uh, we have been in or around 7 million children, uh, sometimes a little over, sometimes a little under, uh, for about the last uh, 12 years. And uh, uh, when I first started uh, back in the mid-'80s uh, with uh, the program, again, uh, in uniform, uh, uh, we, were, we were raising uh, enough toys to help children somewhere between three and four million a year and so we've uh, pretty much doubled what we were doing uh, you know 30 years ago so uh, you know I feel I feel good uh, that uh, you know we've been able to uh, uh, reach more children uh, and never enough toys uh, you know there's 14 to 16 million children living uh, at or below the poverty level in this nation and uh, we're reaching close to half of them. And uh, so we think that's, uh, uh, that's great, but uh, we'll keep doing it until, until we reach them all. Amazing. I want to talk, you've got 760 communities who have rolled up their sleeves and they've got units. It, is, is it the correct term, unit? Yes. We, we call a unit. Uh, call okay. a, uh, we have a... Uh, 155 marine units in the major city count, city areas, you know, the mm -hmm. Atlanta, Minneapolis, Miami, New York, uh, L.A., and Seattle, and all those. Uh, and then we have some smaller communities. We have uh, uh, what I call over-the-hill gang, guys like myself who are retired Marines, 
uh, former Marines, and in the smaller communities, uh, you know, maybe uh, towns, uh, you know, around 20,000 to uh, to 80,000 or so in, in surrounding counties, that's where uh, a lot of our volunteers, uh, you know, uh, start their mm -hmm. program. All right. Now, within these groups, these are the grassroots people. So what people donate to the individual units the, in the 760 communities stays in that community. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. All toys okay. raised in a community uh, stay to help uh, families in that community. Uh, we don't pick toys up. Now, if someone, uh, you know, for instance, a uh, a company uh, like Hasbro, uh, who's been very good to us over the years, if they were to call and say, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, 100,000 Monopoly games uh, located in Los Angeles, uh, then, you know, they, uh, you know, don't mind where we distribute those. So uh, sometimes we try to spread the wealth around when we get uh, a large contribution of, of toys. So mm -hmm. we might uh, might have some stay in L.A. and some uh, might go as far, you know, as the East Coast, to, depending on just how many we get of a, of a certain toy. Yeah. At Christmas time, when Christmas is over, how much of what Toys for Tots brings to kids, how much of that comes from individual contributions? Well, you know, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, last year probably, and that that's a, it was a typical year, about 80 to 85% of the toys that we distribute, and, and I'm talking about uh, uh, 16 to 17 million toys were distributed last year. Uh, so, uh, you know, 12 to 13 million of those were locally donated toys and the rest the last uh, uh, 15% or, or so uh, were uh, uh, toys that uh, we were able to raise at the foundation from uh, nice uh, corporations you know like I mentioned Hasbro Hess toys uh, uh, you know and, and uh, books uh, as well which make great great gifts uh, so all those things uh, uh, yeah, certainly add up. I love it. When yeah, this this is really a remarkable number. You really do need people in communities to roll up their sleeves and pitch in here. That's where your yeah. major source of kids stuff comes from. That's where the major uh, number of our our toys uh, come from, and uh, you know we also ask folks. Uh, to help us, uh, you know, if they own a business, uh, especially a business with a lot of walk-in traffic, uh, that uh, is something that uh, we really uh, could use them to be a, a toy drop-off location, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and uh, um, if the other uh, other things they can do to help is. If possibly they uh, they buy some airtime on a radio station, uh, you know they could uh, donate some of it to Toys for Tots to get the word out to uh, uh, you know to the community 
where they can get toys and where they can drop toys off. Uh, yeah. You know, we're asking people uh, if they have vehicles, especially trucks or vans, if they'd help us pick up toys, uh, you know, for us or or help us distribute toys when uh, when it, the time comes or sort toys in our warehouse, uh, you know, so we can, uh, you know, have toys, uh, you know, one section for uh, children, you know, two to six or something along those lines, or preteen mm-hmm. toys, or and and older uh, children's uh, items. So uh, there's a lot of ways that uh, uh, someone in the community can help, and it truly is a community uh, effort. Uh, so we're uh, always pleased uh, that uh, we get. Uh, a lot of folks helping it, and a good example, and maybe our biggest program uh, is Atlanta, and uh, we have uh, every year between 1,000 and 2,000 volunteers who, um, you know, people who might only come in once uh, during the month of December, and and some come in every night to uh, sort toys or go uh, get in a truck and go to 500 to 600 uh, pickup points, uh, you know, uh, there's just a lot of work, and uh, and it's usually in a, you know, kind of a small period of time. Uh, while we advertise that it starts uh, early in the fourth quarter, uh, people aren't ready to donate, uh, and we understand that uh, for for the most part until about Thanksgiving time, and uh, so. We have four to five weeks uh, in which to pick up and distribute uh, uh, millions and millions of toys to uh, to millions of children. So uh, does, we need those volunteers. How does somebody get to be a volunteer? Say again. How does somebody get to be a volunteer? Okay, they can go uh, on our website and uh, uh, and look up the the state and the and the county uh, in which they live uh, and. Uh, they usually will find a phone number uh, and or a uh, an email address uh, to uh, to send a uh, and request to be a volunteer. Uh, they also uh, we usually advertise on on the radio uh, that uh, you know we're looking for volunteers to help out as well, uh, and uh, it uh, it seems to. To work out, we uh, you know we find uh, we f- we find uh, just enough. <laughs> We'd like to like to find more. Sometimes we work some people uh, awfully hard, but uh, uh, when it's all over, uh, they always seem to to want to come back because of the the great feeling you get uh, during this very special time of the year. Uh, very you know, special. And your you're website is www.toysfortots. Dot org. The ORG is really important or you won't get to where you want to go. Toysfortots.org. And you do have a lot of information up there. I've got so many questions for you, and I promised you that I was streamlining them. When people are out buying a toy, they really want to get a correct toy, something that a child will really enjoy, what toy and what books do you hope they would bring to a center? Well, you know, um, we uh, first 
when somebody calls me, I always ask that they consider something for an older child uh, because that's our hardest age group to, uh, uh, you know, to fill, uh, you know, and uh, uh, we just ask. We don't uh, usually suggest. We just say uh, something that you would buy your child or your grandchild or your niece or nephew uh, is what, uh, uh, what we would like to give uh, to these children as well. Uh, you know, so we don't, uh, we ask them to keep it. They're spending in or around, uh, you know, uh, no more than thirty, thirty-five dollars. Uh, you know that uh, um, it, we don't want to uh, give one child a uh, a two hundred dollar item, and then the next child in line or you know parent in line uh, gets uh, gets a uh, a twenty dollar uh, toy, and so yeah. we we try to keep it as even as we can. And uh, we found that, you know, there's a lot of nice gifts that you can buy uh, a, ch- a child, uh, you know, uh, and not spend a fortune. Yeah. And if you shop around and really pay attention, you can get some great gifts for kids at some bargains. I mean, it took me a couple of hours, but last year I found a sports, it's a battery-operated sports question. It had a 1,000 sports questions in there. This is a guy thing, you know. (laughs) I'm not a sports person. I was so happy that I found it because it was a major product. It was sold out everywhere, and I found five of them on sale somewhere, and they were quite affordable, and they were just great. So, you know, you got to spend a little bit of time, but they're out there. And... um, Gee, I felt really good, you know, that not only did I get a bargain, but I got something that for eight right through adult, you know, to find something that covered the entire spectrum so that you could pick and choose where where the, the item went. So, you know, sure. if they're out there, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. We uh, Many mothers uh, especially will sometimes uh, uh, take their children uh, Christmas shopping and uh, – ask them to buy something, uh, pick something out they would like to get for Christmas, uh, and then they buy it and make sure that uh, uh, they, they donate that to Toys for Tots. Kind of, They use it as an, a good opportunity for a child to learn, uh, you know, how good it feels to give, uh, especially during uh, that time of the year. Uh, and uh, so it's... Uh, we're being used as a as a as a, a lesson giver uh, as well, and uh, you know, so the mothers feel good, the children feel good, and many uh, grandparents, uh, people who you know have raised their children and and maybe even their grandchildren uh, to a certain degree, and and uh, now have a little bit of discretionary uh, money to spend, and they want kids to have the kind of Christmas that they remember having when they were a child and yeah. uh, and so uh we uh we're very fortunate to have a, a lot of folks in that category as well that support us every year i love it bill i'm i'm coming down to my last question here across my little heart <laughs> and i i think i'm almost even in the time frame here that we promised you when people are 
sitting down, at, they're looking to choose a charity that they would like to contribute to this particular, let's say, in 2015. What are the two things they should know about Toys for Tots that might help them know the correct stuff about Toys for Tots and perhaps make a choice that you're it for them this year? Well, you know, we we know there are a lot of great charities out there. A lot of a lot of people that work very hard and do very good things. And uh, you know, we we don't want you not to support them. Uh, you know, I have some charities that uh, um, my daughter had breast cancer a few years ago, so we uh, uh, you know we certainly support. Uh, uh, support them, but uh, uh, what we want people to know is that one ten dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars will help us fulfill the Christmas dreams of one child. And uh, you know, we get a lot of good deals uh, with uh, when you buy millions of toys. So, uh, so they can they can solve a problem uh, with not a lot of money. Uh, so uh, uh, that's uh, that's a, uh, a great thing to uh, uh, to keep in mind, and we're you know we're a, we're a, a, a feel good charity. Uh, if you want to feel good, uh, you know, and know that you really did make a difference with one child, uh, you can do that with us. Uh, you know, and we only bother you uh, for the most part one time a year. Uh, you know. Uh, at, at Christmas time, uh, support uh, all the other charities that mean a lot to you, uh, you know, throughout the year. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'd ask you to, to think of making one donation to us and uh, uh, helping a child. I love that. That is really good. We've been talking with United States Marine Corps Major Bill Grimes who claims he's retired, and you really are retiring from Toys for Tots. This is my last question. You're going to be with us again at Christmas time. You said you'd be able to do that around November? Yes. Uh, this well, will be I my last this was our last, last, last time. <laughs> this will be my last, uh, uh, my 25th Christmas with the uh, Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. It just seemed like it's a, uh, a good time to... Uh, uh, you know, to step out uh, at the, and uh, let someone a little younger uh, uh, do do some of the work. Uh, you know, when I go visit those corporations, uh, you know, I used to uh, visit uh, and still do. A lot of the people uh, are are young enough to be my my child, and now I'm starting to see some that are young enough to be my grandchild, and so I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it's time to uh, uh, to uh, uh, go ahead and and uh, and hang it up after this year. Uh, I uh, I'm going to hate to go. I love uh, everything about uh, the Marine Corps and 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 the Toys for Tots program, uh, but uh, I really uh, I think uh, you know you should know when it's time to walk away, and I think uh, I think this is uh, this is. Uh, the time for me. Well, it's an incredible disappointment for us that we're only going to have one more opportunity to talk with you. You've, you've been you've been part of our family, Bill. For goodness' sake, <laughs> um, no well, kidding. 
Uh, maybe, you... maybe I'll get into uh, – no, I, I won't get into another charity, but uh, uh, just call me <laughs> – uh, call me sometime. Uh, we'll get in called. July say, we'll get December. called. Just say, just say hello. That's what we'll do. We'll get called to see you okay in July. That's what we'll do next that's, year. Yeah. That, yeah. That, we'll get that some, would be fine. I, I look forward we'll, to the call. We'll, that's right. We'll get. Oh, say, that that would be terrific. I just want to remind people one more time. You got toysfortots.org, and I did notice last year. Maybe you've had it for longer than that. You have request a toy link up there for a parent or a family member who has a child who might not have Christmas without Toys for Tots, and you can go to the website and put in a request. That's right. Uh, you know, people can find out how to, how to get a toy for their child and, uh, and uh, how to make a donation uh, of a toy or dollars on our website as, as well. And uh, those who need help, uh, it's a little early now to call, but uh, uh, I would say, uh, sadly, sometimes we get calls on December 23rd or, or 24th, and, and it's just, you know, too late for us to, to do anything. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, what, what we ask is that uh, uh, people call uh, in, uh, in November or early December, and uh, and get their names on, on lists. Excellent. I'm finished with my questions. Did I make my time limit? You were close enough for government work. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I'm, I think that's a compliment. I'm not really sure. But <laughs> we will be back at Christmas time, Bill, to talk with you one more time and prompt people and give them help knowing how to get toys to kids at Christmas time. And in the meantime, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you for being with us again. Well, thank you both for, uh, for letting uh, me talk about uh, Toys for Tots and, and uh, spreading the word, and I really look forward to talking to you again uh, in December. Terrific. Great. You have a great weekend, Bill. Thank you so much. Good night, Bill. Thank you. Good night. Good night. And we're gonna let's see here, Patricia. What do you want to do? You want you want to stretch for a couple minutes, or how you want? How would you like to do this? Your choice. You've got all the buttons. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Why don't we play about hmm, a couple, about two songs? That way, you can get people want to stretch, and then Patricia and I can. Uh, Bring people up to date. Phone from ringing off the hook. Uh, but, you know, I said, well, why don't we talk to you guys after uh, our guest? So why don't I play a little music for two songs, and then Patricia and I will be here to hunker down for a little while with everybody. So. Oh, yes, we will. Oh, yeah. So stand by, everybody. We'll be with you. I'll be back.
Are you still there, Patricia? I bet she hung up. She probably forgot. Anyway, we'll share a prayer first, and then I'll go get Patricia. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Bless Troy for Todd. Bless the uh, wonderful work that association does. Look after the little boys and girls at this time and throughout the year, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, we'll go get Patricia. Here we go. Jaws for Windows is ready. Patricia Hewitt, Bill Bragg, Bill Crop, Skype trademark twin, John Gassman, Larry, Bill Crime, Larry Gat, Bill, John Gat, Mike, Dennis R, Jim Tate, Unread Messages, Donnie, Lee B, Frank Red, Sammy Jo, Jen Olive, Tom May, Patricia Hewitt, Bill Bragg, Tommy Cook, Gloria Mc, Unread Messages, Harriet, Larry Gat, Cynthia Ma, Patricia Hewitt, Bill Bragg, Mike Case. Patricia Hewitt, phone number, application, send us, invite a group call, enter, leaving menus, Patricia, unloading, jo hands, okay, enter. Yes? And we're back, hello there. Hello. Hello. That was short. Oh, well. I can call well, you again. You did what you promised a couple of songs, and we're back. Well, I was mailing a second song. Sometimes you sneak off and have I know. butter and jelly. I, I know, but, 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 <laughs> but, 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 I yeah, thought but. the first song went wrong, and you went there, and you said you hung up, and I said, well, I better call you during the second oh, song. Oh, I, I didn't know I wasn't supposed no, to. No, 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 no. This is good, because this gets us through the rest of the night. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Would you let people know what Live 365 is doing to us tonight? Yeah, I will. And also we have somewhat of a sad announcement. People have been calling out yeah. about that. So we'll talk about that now. Um, this will be a somewhat a short show, depending on how you look at short, short, you know? <laughs> but uh, Live 365 is doing maintenance work starting around midnight tonight, West Coast time, or 3 a.m., and they're going to be taking stations down for at least 20, 30 minutes at a time, periodically throughout the night, for six and a half hours. So, uh, if you wake up in the middle of the night and don't hear us, well, you know why. You know, we, we haven't been there. You know, we haven't, we've, we've been kind of cutting out at about 3 o'clock, which is, you know, I mean, that's four and a half hours for us. And I'm the one who prompts that. I say, I'm finished. I'm pooped. You do very well, my dear. I don't, I'm just blessed to have you for the time I have you. You're so kind. Well, it's true. Well, thank it's you. It's true. I mean, I mean, we've done enough. We did it. We did do 17 hours one day. I don't think anybody's ever one, beaten it. One, one day. Yes. I want to emphasize that was one day. But, Everybody should do that one time but, in life. But we and have that was it. we have done eight and a half. We have done our fair share eight hours, seven hours. So we we've done some biggies. I don't know how we do it, but we have done it. It's amazing. We have done it. Yeah. They they just sort of took off by themselves. That's true. So. 
So, so you have an announcement to make about Pig? Yes, I do. Um, I known this for about a, about a week to ten days, probably ten days ago. Um, uh, that Pig Grinch, the wonderful comedy writer uh, from the great state of Nebraska, has to get that in. You know, everybody good from Nebraska. Smile, Patricia. I'm smiling. Okay. You can't hear it. Okay. You can't hear a smile. I know. I know. Um, passed away last night um, at age 98. A lot of us are hoping she was going to make it to 100, but um, she had hip surgery in May, and the last week or so uh, went in serious decline. Uh, we knew about it. A few of us knew about it. She was put in hospice at home over a week ago, so we've been somewhat on the quiet visual. Yeah, but her, her daughter, who lives in England most of the time, uh, uh, of course, she was here with her mom, put a wonderful, interesting uh, Facebook notice. And if you go to peglinch.com, you can click on look at her Facebook uh, mention. But uh, anyway, we lost Peg last night, and uh, what a interesting talent. She wrote over 10,000 of those scripts. That's a few, isn't it, Patricia? 10,000 scripts. Uh-huh. It's an intimidating number of 10, scripts. 10,000. And she, uh, she... Did the series locally in the 30s. It went national on the ABC Radio Network in 1944. Uh, Richard Wood, her co-star, he just couldn't wait to get out of town because he wanted to move to Hollywood. So, uh, you know, she was, um, she wasn't a heartbroken, let's put it that way, when he decided to go to Hollywood. And, but they, uh, they found Alan Bunce, and Alan did it until he passed away in 65. And through different revivals, he was here different years. In the 50s, he was on the Kate Smith TV show for five years. She did it in the 60s with Monitor. She did it on different series in the 70s. And she was very active doing it through the conventions. And uh, especially she and Polly Bear connected so well. They would... They would do it so well together. And so next Friday, um, we probably did the last interview with her. We did it on Skype, John, Larry, and I. And we'll feature one of the interviews we did with her. We'll probably feature the uh, the series that the BBC did on her. Uh, her mom helped produce, her daughter helped produce that. It's an interesting uh, piece of documentary. She talked about the time... And I think, Patricia, you might remember me telling you this story. There was some senator from Massachusetts that wanted to take her out. And she was just too busy. She said he was just an avid fan of the show. And she turned him down. And that was John Fitzgerald Kennedy. So, you know, what can I say? Anyway. You just never know what you're saying no to. <laughs> I mean, if you say no, you never have an opportunity to find out what it would have been. That's right. 
So, so uh, anyway, so that's we just wanted, wanted to mention that. And um, tomorrow, John will be in, in rehearsal. So it will be Martin Graham once we spot the top of the show. And we'll see what else we get through after that. But our Peggy Lynch celebration will be next Friday. So there. Merry Christmas, good Patricia. Stuff. How are you, B? Are you I be good? I am fine, thank you. Good. Are you okay? I feel like little honey on Comic Man Weekly. I'm just in love with that little child. Aww. I still have not looked up in John Dunning who played little honey in Comic Weekly Man. So Comic I, Weekly I, Man I, had a little sidekick who was a little girl named Honey, and he would read the comic strips, and she would help him and ask questions. The most adorable character. I mean, really lovable. You just want to put your arms around this little character and give her a hug and a kiss. And it's probably a 98-year-old woman who's playing the role. Well, But it sounds just like, oh, do you know who played this? Well, that's why I'm saying. That's why I suggest, why don't you get, get the book out now, and can we look it up now? Well, we can look it up now, but I have to put the phone down. That's okay. Do that. Do that. I'm on a handheld All right. phone Go ahead, do that, that will walk with me, but I, well, maybe. Okay, Let put the phone how down. Ambidextrous I am. You, you, you can do that while people are calling in at 714-545-2071. That's 714-545-2071. Can you believe it? Next week we're into August already. No. And, and uh, that's always interesting that we'll be looking upon the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II starting next month. Hello there, Carl. You're on there. Hi there. Hello there, Ron. Turn that down. There we go. That's helpful. We appreciate yeah. that. I don't need that up. I don't need that up. How are you doing? It's warm. It's warm. Uh, I mean, it, it, well, I mean, and most people probably kill me what it is. It's probably seventy degrees, seventy-eight degrees. But I'm getting used to it being like that. Somebody might tell you what it is. Hi, Ron. Comedy Man Hi. Weekly is not in John Dunning. How could that? Was be? it a radio show? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it was a wonderful radio show. It ran for a long time. Let me see what I can pull up about it. See, um, <sighs> see the problem with that was that there were so many things he had to leave out of that book. True. That he wasn't really. I know, but Comic Man Weekly ran for such a long time. Can you imagine his original manuscript? You know, Ron, how many pages his original manuscript was? None of them. I heard it was a lot. I yeah, take a guess. How many pages? And this is one-sided, everybody. It's not double-sided. D- Double-spaced, no, one-sided. You know, a lot depends on how many lines he used on the page and right. how big the type was. And, right. You know? Pretty impressive number, though. Was it about 3,600? Yes. 3,600 pages. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. That's huge, no matter how many words a you put lot. on a page. And, and he, he said, I think it was like the first, you know, those... um. When he mailed it to Oxford, you know, typically you would buy these mailing boxes to send a manuscript. And I think he said the um, the letter A filled up just one box by itself. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. That's a lot. That's a lot. And he sort of wondered about it. It took nine months for the, uh, 
for his um. I don't know to get to him. Hey, I like the way he is on page whatever. You know, he's he walking through the letter A. Yep. But um, <laughs> but he said I had a. We'll pass the poll after the interview I did with John Dunny. But he said I had I had a heart, the heart talk with my editor, uh, when he flew out to try to convince me to cut the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said I I think he, he did it one time, and the second time, and then the third time the editor tried to convince them to cut some things out, and that's when John he said this this is what I need this is what this is all I, I want to go. And he said, okay, uh, we'll, we'll go with it. But, uh, you know, things... Think of, the, think of the things we had to leave out that we'd like to know about. Well, see, it's interesting. It was interesting. His editor wanted him to cut out anything that wasn't directly related to radio. For example, uh, if you look through the Mercury Theater write-up, um... John talked about the time where they uh, when they had the incident where they had to do the stage, the Mercury Theater stage, on the not on the stage but in the audience. He was trying to give a little background what the troop was all about, mm-hmm. and he the editor said that's not really related to radio, but he said it's a great story. But he said I, I think you need to know. Some background, and so they had to go back and forth. What, what was directly related, and what wasn't to radio? And John wanted to at least give some background to every show, if even though it didn't wasn't directly related to the radio broadcast. And so, yeah, that that's really interesting. I I do. I did download the book from Bard the other day, so I do have it again. I have I have two copies of it. I have a cassette copy and the uh, and the Bard, which is different. They're different because they're different readers. Um, yep, I read the first one twice through, and I read the second one once through. So um, I'm indebted to John Dunning in a lot of ways. I think we all should be. I yeah. Think we all should. But I'd like to. I wish they would put out Tune In Yesterday on Bard. I really do because they're different, and I need mm-hmm. them both. I think we need them both. I like the style of the first one. I do too. But Patricia, you you prefer the second book, don't you, Patricia? I'm a straight meat kid. I don't even want potatoes with it. And he gives highly specific information. These are the dates. These are the sponsors. This is the cast. Da, 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 da. And then we'll, for most of them, do a description. Whereas the one you two like is, um, it's a it's it's just prose. It's a, mm-hmm. a, I like them both. I'm struggling for words tonight. Good grief. Um, and I, I would guess that for the two of you, it probably was incredibly easier to read. It was. Well, it was, a rom- it was the first radio book I ever read. It was a very romantic side for a 13-year-old mm-hmm. boy, t- boy to learn about radio reading that. Um, yeah. I, I love... The second book, because I am a meat and potato person, generally that's who I am. But the uh, what he, he John claimed that really you have to thank the the uh, publisher for coming up with the format of putting everything like up up front like that. He said, mm-hmm. and I think in a way it helped save space the way they did it that way. He thought it saves my brain. I think that both of them are necessary. I really think we need both of them. 
You know what? I haven't, radio book I haven't read? used on the, the um, Tune In Yesterday book. This was also by John Dunning, who right. is a person we talk about frequently on this show. I have not used it an awful lot, but what I have looked for is duplicated in on the air, the Encyclopedia of Radio. Uh, I, I think the, the Encyclopedia is more is the quintessential reference book. So if you want to look something up, that's the book I would mm-hmm. grab. That's yeah, but if I'm if I'm looking for additional information, I haven't found anything additional in no. TuneIn yesterday. No. But the numbers of times I've used it is so minuscule compared to the numbers of shows that are in there. I don't know if that's true throughout. You know what the first radio book I ever read was? Tell me. What? It sounds impossible. What? It sounds impossible. Oh. <laughs> it was the first radio book I ever read. I thought you were telling me it's going to sound impossible, but no. this is what I did. Oh, no. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did either of you come up with anything for Comic Weekly Man, which I insist on calling Comic Man Weekly? It's Comic Weekly, the weekly comics, and the man who reads them. All I know, and all I know there's nothing. All I know is Lon Clark, was the, was, who was best known to be Nick Carter, was the, uh, was the man in the, in the show. Oh, really? Yeah, that, well, and he remembers. You've got, it, you've got more than anybody else. And he remembers doing that on a Saturday night, generally. Looked in the library. Um, have you looked in the library? Um, the, and I, I think there's a write-up about it on the radio, uh, the radio uh, first generation website, and they put out an issue, and they did um, a little research on the, on the website, but I don't remember if they ever did anything about Honey. I know. Long Clark talked about it because John Lurie talked to him about it. Um, mm-hmm. huh. And I think there was a uh, a panel that Lurie has from FOTR that they discussed it. And maybe we have to get, that, get the panel and uh, see if we can come up with who was Honey. Yeah. It's such, it's such a disappointment that people like us can't give an actress credit for doing such a wonderful job with a character, we don't even know who she was. Well, are we so gonna... there are a lot of programs that. that... Sh- should we Google? Can we Google? I'm Googling. Google. I've got the same little piece of information that's copied all over the place. Yeah. Comic Weekly Man ran from 1947 to whatever the date. Right. And he read comics, and that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> we could figure that out all by ourselves. But Honey is such is such a sweet little girl. The, you think you recognize um, her, You think you recognize mm-hmm. that voice in other shows? No. Okay. No, and you're so much more sensitive to voices than I. But it's so distinctive that oh, Long of Sir and Honey. Let's see. Ooh. ooh um, I've never heard it. one. Where can I find it? Oh, you're talking to her. And I can even Dropbox to you now. Patricia got Dropbox. Oh, I don't have a Dropbox. I can do that. I don't have a Dropbox for you. I know. Well, she can work with you on that. I can work with you on that, and Walden can help us. That's right. Or, 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 if you put it in my box tonight, I'll put it in his box tomorrow. Okay, that would be great. So I've I got a really nice collection. So if but, um, it's something that your ears smile over, I'd be happy to send more. I just love this show. 
he comes in and he'll say, hello, hello, hello. And however he says it, she mimics. And she'll come back and say, hello, hello, hello. And he'll say, well, honey, how are you today? Well, I am fine. Thank you very much. And it's such an adorable repartee between the two of them. Um, I think I'm a kid. Well, what if I forgot. We, uh, what, if we, uh, what if we work on, on, on setting uh, an account up with, with her and I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do that too. But I thought if you wanted to get the show to, right away, I, I, I can go through that. But yeah, we can. and that probably would be better anyway. I'll just drop box them to you, and you can forward them yeah. to him. Yeah. Well, you can do that. You would do that? You can do that. You can do whatever you want. But, but I think I'd like to set one up with you. We, okay. we might be able to you, do we, that. We can work, work on that. Okay. All right. We can work on that. But Patricia, I can't believe it. My Patricia come a long way. She's just incredible. Well, I'm proud of her. Sounds like... Well. <laughs> I've got Dropbox. <laughs> I tried to set up a Dropbox account three different times. I know. The first time I put in my Hotmail address, and it accepted it and then kept rejecting me halfway through the process. Right. So the next time I went back, I tried it again, and then it came back and said, well, I'm sorry, Florida Writer at Hotmail.com right. is already used. Well, I know it's used. You gobbled it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I tried another email, and I'm finally connected with it. And it's not for lack of wanting. I was thwarted. You know, in I, I, I in about five years, I know we're going to have Patricia up on Skype. I just noticed. I think we'll keep going to do it. <laughs> in the next five years? Yeah, in the next five years. I, I'm a patient okay. person. The question I have for you, uh, uh, Walden, is Patricia, well, actually for you, Patricia, do you have my email address? Your email address? Yes, I don't think you do. Is that, no, Walden can, can forward that to me. Okay, he can forward it to you. And then, then you if I remember that, I don't remember it. What, what is it? I've got a new one. Oh, okay. Well, you you need to have my people talk to your people because I think I don't have your new one. Oh, you might. It's an Outlook address. Is it? You have the Outlook one? I think no, I do not. I all I have the Gmail. You don't. You just have the Gmail. Yeah. Okay. So I need to. Your people, my people, need to talk. Okay, we need to work on that. Yeah, we 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 can we'll negotiate. We can do that. Then we. Yeah, because then we can uh, we can send to that. Yeah. It's easy to accept an invitation to uh, to Dropbox. That's true. You do. I've done it. Um, so we could do that. Okay. Good. Good. Now, let's get to let's get to the cut to the chase here. Um, last night we got to Archie Andrews. Thank you very much. Ah. It's a great show. For what? It's darn too. <laughs> It's Dart 2, my best friends of old time radio, Bob and Hal. Oh, I realize that. I realize that. You're going to you're gonna so, trounce on their memory just because you don't like the show. Well, I don't like the show. Well, I think I think you're, you're taking this for a walk on a leash, Walden. <laughs> well, don't you know I'm trying to pull you? Know, don't, don't, you know, don't you know I'm trying to pull you chain, Patricia? You know that. I, I believe I chose the hammock. Is that the, the show that I chose for Archie? Correct. Awful. Correct. Awful. That was a quintessential terrible show. Even if it were for kids, it's insulting to. It was a terrible yeah. thing to give to kids. What kind of entertainment was that? It lasted for ten years. 
it doesn't matter. It was terrible for 10 years. It was. It, it really was awful. Archie Andrews was a radio program that came up after, and, and it was shaped after with the same characters as the Archie comics. And the writing was a younger child's version, or attempted to be a younger, younger child's version of the Aldrich family, which was a really quality show. It was. And this, this, the Aldrich family? Yes, and I'm not really. Yeah. No, I'm not. You, yeah, okay, I, I, thought, yeah. I thought you were going to say, oh, no, no, that one's terrible, too. Uh, the Aldrich family, it's really one of my favorite shows. I just love the characters in that. Archie was a bomb from the get-go. May I ask a question? It, it was so bad that they had to, had to prompt the kids to laugh and cheer in the audience. May I ask? Now it's pretty bad when you get a, a live audience and the kids don't, don't want to do this on their own. They have to be prompted to laugh. May I ask a question? What? <laughs> <laughs> the show was on for 10 years. Yeah. Done in 1943. Yeah. It was on for 10 years. In the summer of 19... <laughs> That's what I said. Right? In, in the summer of 1948, mm-hmm. Kraft Food picked it up and was the summer replacement for the Great Girls Week. Did it sound as bad as the original? We have some of those shows, yes. We it do. does sound as bad. Yes. So my question is, why would Kraft do that? I... Do not know. They were advertising macaroni and cheese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a kid food. Wait a minute, like wait a minute, wait a minute. I like macaroni food. and cheese. Yeah, as I said, it's a good grown-up like it, too, but yeah. it's a kid food. Kids yeah. love macaroni and cheese. Yeah. So, but why they would choose that particular show, there had to be other kid shows. <laughs> Well, I think you could. I mean, why certainly, would they, there well, was at least one other kid show who would have appreciated Kraft as Yeah, but why did they shoot that to replace the Great yeah, Girls Week? Again, please? They did that one to replace a night. They put nighttime to give a Great Girls Week the, night, the summer off. I think they did it to make everybody grateful that Gildersleeve was coming back. <laughs> Uh, there sometimes is great method in madness. Either that, either that, or they were desperate. So you think, or 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 how Perry shows it for job security. He wanted to make sure he wasn't going to be bumped off in the, exactly. in the fall. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Awful stuff. Well, thank you, Ron. Oh. Um, we're we're on the same page this week. I take yes, it. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Now I found a very interesting program today. That, yes. Uh, I that was very interesting. I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. I was forgot. <laughs> Motor Club. Um, oh, right. oh, I know what it was. Yeah, good old what's his name. I'll never forget him. Wayside, Wayside Theater. Oh, yeah. That's a new one for me. Really? Mm-hmm. We have there a, are millions out there. Millions. Or, or as millions Carl, as well. Carl Sagan would say. Billions and billions. This was pretty good. And what was it? Wayside Theater is the name of the program. It's a light comedy thing, like uh, pretty much like uh, First Nighter. Uh-huh. It was a Chicago series. It was uh, light, series. Dra- some esoteric dramas. 
um, some like comedy. Own mm-hmm. Soleil was in it, and a lot of the shows we have are from. That voice. A lot of the this we have is from his this day gave the spur back. So how many, how many are there? I only found seven of them. That's about what there is. He didn't have what I went through boxing up. That's about what there was around. Oh my! Only seven. Yeah. Oh. Well, it, everyone it, is potential to be a Patricia victim. Because Olin Soule did a, uh, an audition program. Yes. The word lucky is in the title. That's right. Yes, it was one of the worst auditions of all times. Yes. Really? Uh, okay. <laughs> yes, so that's going in the next batch. It, it, because it started the guy who started the guy who played Captain Midnight. Bill Trousset and Olin Soule, they did like three or four auditions of the series called Lucky Something Else. And it basically featured them as a hobos. Oh, my. Yeah, uh, Olin Soleil is a sophisticated gentleman who, for some reason, has wound up hoboing it. I think it was probably uh-huh. a life dream. And he hooks up with a hobo. Right. And the two of them just don't make it together. They, they don't play off each other. I was listening to some of the Bickersons today with Francis Langford and Don Amici. I mean, they were just magic. Whatever they said was a perfect play off the other one's lines. And there's nothing of sync. There's no syncing in... It's it just, oh, it's well, bad. Well, now you, can see, now you can see why there was several attempts for that series, several auditions. I saw that. <laughs> they, they, please, would you look at it just one more yeah, time? Yeah, that's what they did. They kept working on it, reworking it, to make, trying to make that show work. I don't have. recall the dates on it. Do you? About 38 or so, 37. Yeah, it was, it was pretty early. And uh, at least three auditions they tried. Maybe you have. Wow. Yeah. You know, the sound quality is good. It's the show that stinks. Right. Really? Oh, my. Yeah, I mean, you're going to love it, Ron. Now, we're talking about the Friday night awful shows. Mm-hmm. Every Friday night, Patricia shows up with a show that never should have shown up. And we play a half an hour of really terrible radio. And then people like Ron call and say, "Mm, I don't agree with you. Or, gee, that was really awful. And she usually does pretty well. (laughs) She usually does pretty well. She usually does an awful job, yes. But once in a while, she misses the mark. Once in a while, according to Ron, I have missed the mark. But I always have a justification. And I always ask people for their opinions because I know that I trounce on loves once in a while. <laughs> Dr. Sixgun was one of them. Yes, correct. Well, you know, it, you know, it honestly, the program, it was the scripting for that particular episode. Honestly, I think we should have a sub series once in a while. Patricia takes on the sacred cows of old time radio. And she... <laughs> I have taken on Puffle, yes. <laughs> everything that's really good and superb in old time radio had a bomb in there somewhere. I haven't found a really awful one in Fibber McGee and Molly. Okay, okay. Most programs. Well, I mean... one, one night we played a suspense, and it. It just didn't make the grade okay. for suspense, well, and of course suspense was... May I, may, the... may I flip the coin on this one? Yes. You said every yes. great series case we have a bomb. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me do it this way. Are there any series that's considered terrific, but you can, you think all of them are just not very well, even though most people think they're terrific? Oh. Well, I don't know about most people. Well, okay, Patricia. Yes, Walden. Okay, Patricia. <laughs> yeah, we I hate Mr. President. And that was one of the oh, best man. shows on radio. Well acted, well researched. Uh, they they took some liberties along the way, but in when you're trying to wrap history in a half an hour show, it's pretty hard to do. Yeah, well, but, but I, I, I would say that's not guessing sure, games. I sure, hate guessing games. It's you're sure supposed to guess who the president is before you get to the end of the show. Mm-hmm. I hate it when people call and say, "Guess who." I don't mean, you know, on this show, and, and, and just any time when I pick up the phone and somebody says, guess who, I say, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I just hate guessing games. It's just part of the personality okay. quirk on okay. my part. But see, so I, I don't, I'm not in love with Mr. President. But I see, I don't think that qualifies. I don't either. Oh, really? Yeah, because see, it's not one of the great top 30, 40 shows of all time. I'm just thinking oh, of well, the... I, I mean, we've we've got ten thousand to choose from. I know. No, I don't think it's but in the think. I don't think it's up there. But the research apparently was was quite good. Right. It was, and I think that uh, I got to tell you, I think that uh, part of the, the the charm of the program for me was guessing who the president was. I really they, enjoyed and, that. And a lot of people enjoy that. They they say, they, "Oh, I recognize that. Oh, oh, that's a good clue." I don't want clues. I want to know the answer. You okay, know? okay, 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 okay. May I? Mm-hmm. May I ask a really big question here? As long as it's not guess who. Well, uh, yes, because you 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 say you don't like guessing games, right? Mm, no. Okay. Why? It, it depends on what. Tell me what you're going. Why? For. Why? You know, I'm setting a trap here. Yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> Why, why wouldn't that surprise me? Yeah, well, you know, you, we've been together long enough. You know me, so I won't, I don't bite too hard. Okay, where's my trap? Why you love detective and mystery books so much? Oh, oh that's it? not a guess who. That's an unravel a mystery. That's not a, that's not a guess. That's, that's, a, that's a, a Sherlock Holmes will say, okay, you've got to eliminate all, all the things that it cannot possibly be. And what's left is the answer of what is. So, no, it, it's it's not a puzzle. Mm-mm. So if somebody calls you and said, if somebody said, hi, this is not Fred, how are you doing today? Then that wouldn't bother If somebody you. called and said what? Hi, this is not Fred. Yeah. And you have a conversation with you. They didn't ask no, you. No, he to- wouldn't. <laughs> No, 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 allow me to reiterate, or iterate, I looked at the difference between iterate and reiterate, and I think iterate is say it again, and reiterate is to say it a third time. In any event, I am iterating, reiterating, no, I don't want to do that. Oh my. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how can we transfer that into other parts of your life. We, we, we don't have to do that. Okay. <laughs> we, we really 
can manage to get to the end of life without it. <laughs> I'm not having a good time without chocolate, but I can live without oh. this. Oh, my. Well, you know, I, by the way, um, I need to go another direction here for a second. I didn't realize until the other day, and I was reminded of this by Jim Taylor, by the way, that John Dunning had written some, some detective books, mysteries. Oh, gosh, yes. And I found... Was he got nine out? No, no, that was um, oh, Elliot yeah. Lewis who did that. How many Seven. How many does um, Dunning have out, Walden? Six, Four or Seven. five, something like that. I have six. Six? I have six. <laughs> and um, I have them. I haven't read them yet, but I, I pulled them the other day. Cool. Well, your job is to... See, now Jim is doing book reports for us. I would like you to do a book report without giving away the ending, but an opinion piece. Yeah, on, yeah. Jim said if he gets in tonight, he got the book done that he read about Bobby Fisher for us. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, great. Bobby Fisher, the chess player. Yep, and then next week he got, he's already read the book on the letters, so he was going to give his book report for that. Oh, my goodness. This is great. He yeah. told me about that, that he read that. We talked about that yesterday. And he has some very interesting opinions on that. I'm sure you'll you'll find them interesting. Good. Um, so yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll read one of these very soon here, and uh, and let you know. They hit the book club of yesterday USA. They should be good. <laughs> yes. We do these things every once oh, in a we while. Do. We do. Oh yeah, and it's all good. I mean, after all, our Patricia just read Huckleberry Finn here the last eighteen months or so. So we're. we're I know. We're, I have missed out on so much. And what's your feeling? What, what if you're feeling now on Mark Twain? You've read, you've read both Huckleberry and Tom Sawyer. What's your, mm-hmm. what's your opinion? And I read a couple of, a couple of others as well. So what's your, what's your thinking of uh, on? I really enjoyed it. I'm sure there are some works that I would set aside and in, in favor of some other stuff. But what I've read so far is really cool. Great. So, do you, do you would you say it's part of the Americana classic? What? Well, what's what's your definition of Americana classic? Well, I'm thinking it's one of the great Huckleberry Finn is probably considered, you know, some yeah. historians probably considered the great American novel. Well, <laughs> maybe not the, but one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it, it it was, it was, it was. <sighs> have to ponder my comments on this. It was a great snapshot of American children's minds, how, how kids' minds can go into overdrive and have such exciting adventures. I think probably Samuel Clemens never grew up. Part of him never grew up. You make me right. <laughs> yeah, and he could reach in and, and actually behave like a kid in his writing, and that's what made it seem so real and fun. Fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. So that's your assignment. I'll work on that. I'm not sure exactly when I can get to it. I've got some other stuff on the table here, but I'll do it as soon as I can here uh, because I have it here, and I'm, I pulled it from Bart, so I don't have to send it back. That's all good. Okay. I packed up a box for you today. Uh-oh. <laughs> we get and we and we packed up a box for you here, and the other day, and uh, 
uh, we're running up to Jerry's place here, and so stand by, Ron. The boxes will be one. falling from the sky. I got one the other day, by the way. Well, good. Good. Well, we, you're, you're going to get... I, I think the I think the count now is 32. Well, just brace yourself. <laughs> Start clearing out some space for me. Oh, brother. Uh-oh. You... I'm going to help. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah. My. Oh, yes. Oh, my. No, no well, that's everybody's too. taking revenge on me. Is that it? Hmm? <laughs> everybody's taking revenge on me. Well, you, you, you're the one with the biggest house in the family, so we're going to pack it, pack it with stuff. That's all. He's got the biggest house, so when we make our grand tour of we, the country, he's we, got room for us. Yeah, we, we can well, come. not anymore. We, we filled it we up. We filled it up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any room left. It's full of boxes. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> okay, wow. we'll let you know. Okay, well, you behave yourself during the week, and I will drop some um, Comic Weekly Man shows in Walden's Dropbox, and he'll get them to you. I will thank you and thank him. And, and then, as I say, we do need to set this set one up so that we can do this ourselves. And um, Because there are probably things I can send you. Cool. Everybody wants okay. to help Patricia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's, well, you have yourself a great week, and stay dry and stay safe. I'll try, and we're, we're heating up here. We're probably... We're probably up around 90 today with, with very high humidity, so it was pretty warm today here, but it's summer. Summer has arrived. Yes, it has. Finally. <laughs> 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 All right. You guys take care. You too, Ron. See you next week. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. It will be August 1 next week. We're waiting to see if we have a special live guest on August 8th. I, haven't, I don't have confirmation yet. Uh, we're hoping to have the writer of Dick Tracy uh, on August 8th. And it's Jimmy Weldon's in town August the 15th. But haven't have confirmation. I've just sent the invite. But, you know, you know, stuff like that there. And hello there, Carl. You're on there. Hello, Walden. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Jim. Oh, hi, Jim in California. How are you? I'm fine. First of all, before I can continue, Walden, thank you for giving me the information, the sad information today. No problem, Jim. You, you, I thought about telling you a week or so ago to let you know that it was coming close, but uh, I thought, you know, we just don't know. So, um, so I just thought I would wait until I had the confirmation about it this afternoon, so. I waited. We had a live guest at the top of the show, so I waited till after uh, Bill Grimes uh, left us, and I mentioned that we lost Peg Lynch last night, and I just thought... Uh, well, 98 was a ripe age, and she was certainly active to the end. My, 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 the thing I remember most about her was the impact she had on my mother. She loved Ethel and Albert and the couple next door and got really enjoyed meeting her at the Spurback convention when she was there in 92. And she told me, even after my mom had her stroke and she had a lot of memory loss, when I saw her in the uh, nursing place she was and in the hospital in one of our conversations, she still remembered that very well. That's one thing that stayed in her memory, meeting her and 
remembering that radio program. So even after she lost a lot of her memory, she still remembered that, and that obvi- she obviously had an impact on my mother. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, Peg told John Larry and I something last fall when Polly Bear had a stroke, um, and Polly lost the ability to speak. Um, I don't know if most people knew that. And he, for the last four or five years, couldn't really speak. But Peg would call him every Sunday, alternate Sunday, and get to talk to him and just have him laugh. He could still laugh. And so that's one thing she always did. It, because they worked together so beautifully when they go went over the country do the couple next door or, or Ethel and Albert. But that was... What a sweet thing to do. Yeah. She just... And um, it, it was so sad because Polly's wife had a stroke, so she wasn't really communicative. So, but it was just way of Peg being in touch. She just wanted to mm-hmm. give Peg, a, give Polly some chuckles. And it was, it was such it was such a warm-hearted radio show. I mean, and you know, you know, some people say how can you do a story about say lost car keys, and it wasn't so much the situation that 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 made the show stand out. It was. Her dialogue between her and him, it was a dialogue. She just had an amazing ability to do this dialogue and can turn what may seem like an ordinary situation into something truly funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely had a Midwest flavor about it. I think uh, I enjoyed it. My mom loved it. Uh, I, think it I think because Peg was from the Midwest, I think it had a lot of Midwestern characteristics to it. And um, idea, She wrote it all herself. Everything. Yeah. And I understand, didn't she say in an interview, she did her writing like at four in the morning or something? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, she, she, um, she didn't, um, she, they, they, they even had it on television for a while in the 50s as a feature on the Kate Smith show. And later she was on, she even did short skits on Monitor in the early 60s, 63 to 65. And I heard her say in one of your earlier interviews with her, I think it was you, or maybe have been, may have been Hartford, that when it was on television, one season it was a summer replacement for December Bride. Mm-hmm. Actually, got higher ratings than December Bride did. And I, I think we should, uh, well, you know her aunt on the show was uh, Margaret Hamilton. Who? Margaret Hamilton was her aunt. Real aunt? Yeah, well, well was her aunt on the radio show. Oh, that's right. I forgot that. And, of course, more people would remember that Margaret Hamilton being the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. Oh, but, yes. But but she, for a good long time, played her Aunt Effie on the show. And that was a, a character that they wrote in. And it was funny because... Uh, and my mother liked Aunt Effie so much because she... She reminded her so much of her mother. Uh, and Effie would say things like, when they would be planning a trip out and they were debating whether to go or not, and she says, well, you don't have to take me. I can just stay home. I don't mind being left alone. Knowing darn well that they're, they're not going to leave her at home. You know, she would say things like that. Well, here's the thing that Peg mentioned that the interplay of Ethel and Al was based upon the interplay of her and her mom. Because mm-hmm. she lost her dad. In that horrible uh, flu epidemic. And, yeah, very young. And she uh, and she didn't get married until late, late 1948. So here she was trying to write a husband-wife comedy, situation comedy series. And basically she said, I, 
uh, you know, basically the relationship or the interplay was sort of like what my mom and I would have. And so she was basing the dialogue somewhat and, and just transferring it over. And Yes, yes, indeed. And, of course, uh, I found it interesting that uh, when she played on The Couple Next Door, I guess because NBC or ABC had the copyright name of Ethel and Albert, they couldn't use that. And they became Mr. and Mrs. Piper. No first names on either person, just Mr. and Mrs. Piper. Well, it could it could have been maybe when she was with Kate Smith, maybe they couldn't get a release of the name yet, and that's why they had to go and, be uh, my guess. And each other as dear. They just referred yeah. to each other as dear on the, on the couple next door. But it was, a again, a very warm-hearted show, and she later even tried to... Re- well, she revived it for a brief time on NPR in 73... And then uh, they had that attempt to revive serials in the mid-70s, and one of the four was called The Little Things in Life that she did with Robert Dryden. It also was adapted in other languages. Right, and then uh, at the conventions, she and Parley made a wonderful team. They did. Albert. Yeah. Just absolutely great. Yeah. Well, let's see. A couple of things before I get to my book review. Uh, mixed opinions, Patricia, on Tune In Yesterday versus On The Air. I, I like both books. They're just absolutely required for any old-time radio fan. Mm-hmm. Was it, the thing about Tune In Yesterday is it, it had more of a narrative style. Yes. Uh, well, b- both books did. But there was a, I guess you kind of like the first book you read on the subject. And that's very important. And you, you enjoy that. And um, you think about the... Um, uh, characters you do, and uh, you, you like the references. There are some differences uh, on a couple of shows, and one that stands out, The Cavalcade of America. There mm-hmm. are some things in the first book that weren't in the second book, and there are some things in the second book that weren't in the first book. So you learn something by reading both books. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the narrative style is is relaxation reading. And when I'm looking for information, I appreciate the, uh, almost the, it, it's an almost academic style of the presentation of the nuts and bolts of the show. And then he goes into a narrative about the show, and I really appreciate the nuts and bolts up front. So that, that puts on the air the encyclopedia of old-time radio on the top of the two for me. Well, for example, I'll, I'll give you what I mean about the two examples of Cavalcade. In mm-hmm. yes, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I apologize. Yeah, that, huh? Okay. And tune in yesterday. She ta- he talks about on Cavalcade of America how uh, listeners were able to, they were doing a story about Lincoln's funeral train, and mm-hmm. a listener was able to spot that, that when they used a sound effect record, they used elect. Uh, uh, the brakes of the train were like, uh, you know, automatic brakes. And a listener pointed out to the Cavalcade producers that th- that type of train did not exist when Lincoln's funeral took place. And the listener spotted that, and they corrected, I guess, that in future shows. And in the second book, we learned about the reason for DuPont creating Cavalcade because of the the their dealings with munitions in World War One, and apparently they were mm-hmm. considered, you know, guilty of, you know, like, war profiteering and the like, and Cal- it was a good public relations thing for DuPont 
to create the series. And that wasn't in this first book, and the train incident wasn't in the second book. Mm-hmm. So you learn things from both books. Um, oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's It's almost exclusively, I will say exclusively, the presentation of the information. Are you surprised, the Patricia, that... presentation in the Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio with all the nuts and bolts up front, the cast, the date. Oh, the date. Are you su- I really appreciate that. I don't want... When I'm looking for that kind of information, I don't want to have to read a couple of paragraphs in order to glean what I can get up front in the encyclopedia. Well, for example, you, used, you did use TuneIn yesterday for... Your refer- on your awful show, you used Tune In yesterday for your reference of Danger Dr. Danfield. How the- that? Yeah, you quoted hmm. Tune In yesterday for that one. You know, the one about Secretary Rusty? Uh-huh. And how stereotyped she was, and you quoted Tune In yesterday for that one. I don't remember what... Yeah, I hope I didn't misquote and use the wrong book, or, or cite the wrong book. Well, you Either way, it was the same author. I guess we're going to have to grade your, your presentation, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> but but they're, they're both great books, and I, I hope someday, like Ron, they will put Tune In Yesterday on Bard as well. Well, I, I, I thought it was interesting that John Dunning told me Oxford was ecstatic through three runs, and I don't know how many runs now, but through the first three runs, they have sold over 8,000 copies of On the Air. And I'm, I'm thinking... For an academic style book, that's that gotta feel pretty good. Oh yeah, and I can imagine just how thrilled John Dunning must have been when, when when he was telling John and Larry, and I guess later he told you mm-hmm. when he said, and they turned, they, he sent them the letter A first, right, which was about a hundred pages, and they bought it immediately just with the letter A. Don't you imagine how that must have thrilled him? But if he said. I'm hope I'm dead the time I get around writing writing the third volume of the book. He doesn't want to. He couldn't see himself writing another version of it, of the book. Yeah, he even he said he said the the editor Mr. Meyer told him they couldn't do two volumes. They, it was original when he finally sent it into them. It was thirty six hundred pages. Uh, I still wish he could have had the whole book because I'm sure there were series that were left out. That he well, cut well, it. Patricia and I were talking about tonight. He can't find Comic Weekly Man in the book. Yeah. I can't is find it, it anywhere. Is it in Tune In Yesterday? Nope. It's nowhere. Let me, let me go check Tune In Yesterday. But because it was, it, it's such a long-running show, at least I would have thought maybe dates and actors. Well, but, for example, some uh, another one that was not in On the Air, and I don't remember about Tune In Yesterday, but another one of your awful shows, I didn't see Diary of Fate in On the Air. Ah, it wasn't. In I there. think I think I pulled a diary of fate. Wait a minute. Maybe this is, maybe this is, maybe this is Patricia calling. She needs to write the awful show book. That's an idea. So yeah, the book, the, the show that they make Dunny book. Opinion. Here are the things that never should be. <laughs> but there are. But, but then people have written books on awful movies. Yeah, I think Patricia could be. She this Patricia. This could be your first. Your first. Published book, yeah. Awfulness. <laughs> well, I already have, I do have. I one. realize awful is subjective, and the the, the only thing, uh, uh, as part of your prejudice too about Mr. President, 
the fact that you said you were not a fan of, at least voice-wise, of Edward Arnold? I'm I'm not too crazy about his voice, but and the same two, way. You feel it's the same the way. Guess who? Lovejoy. Yeah, it's the. Pardon? You feel the same way about Frank Lovejoy? I mean, his voice. Yeah. Off, kind of, right? I I would, you know. All right, this Walden. Am I going to get punished? No, no. I, I'll protect you. I, I, I vow to protect you of all, all time. I'm going to get fun poked at me. I would actually prefer to listen to Frank Lovejoy than Eddie Arnold. Oh, wow. I know. I know. And it, it, well, you know what? You know, you, you, you know what, uh, though? Maybe if it's his laugh. Okay, they probably be said sometime Edward Arnold would get in the laughing spell in the show and couldn't control himself, and you could hear that in his no. voice. No. And, you, and, you, and again, you don't like the fact that the president is not named at the beginning of the show, and I, I still think on that point, I don't think the show would have had the same impact had they named the presidents, because I think if they'd done a show, say, on Millard Fillmore, Lincoln would have, you know, people would have listened to Lincoln. They would have listened to Washington, maybe uh, Jackson. But someone like, say, Millard Fillmore or maybe uh, uh, Chester Arthur, I don't know if it would have, if listeners would have stayed with yeah. Oh, I don't or, know. Or, or, Jim, do you think of it this way? Cavalcade America did that with President, that you knew who they were when they were doing a profile. Uh, well, I guess, I guess the whole idea of the show was the guessing game. It's why the show was... Created, I suppose. Um, yeah, it, it was a shtick. Well, it was I, other things. That I find it difficult to... Miss Sarah, no secretary. I know most presidents did not have women secretaries in the 1800s. Or 1700, you know. No, I, nobody had women secretaries. Um, but George Washington had one in one of his shows. A woman. Okay, well, maybe... Figure. I mean, not you don't you, you normally didn't hear about their secretaries in the 1800s. No, no, and they they did a whole Mr. President about George Washington, built on the visit of his rambunctious niece, who yeah. lived with him for a while, and it was the secretary who did the commentary and the advice to the president on how to handle the situation. Where was Martha? I liked the show. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't decided. Good show. I haven't really it put together good, my top yeah. favorites. I mean, it was. A, I, I knew I, it was. It was a good show because I knew from the title it was about George Washington. Yeah. Okay. I don't have any. I'm just, that's erase that. I don't have no, as much recall to attach I, information to a president when I don't know upfront who it is. When I got to the end of George Friday, and you almost knew right from the beginning it was Lincoln because of him going to Forbes that night. I think there was one about Good Friday or something. And you knew that was, you know, you could tell it was Lincoln. I mean, you you know, well, we're going to the theater tonight, and, you you know, you obviously knew what direction it was going and everything. Uh, It was a a good, I mean, it it was in my, um, it was certainly, if you like history, I think a lot of people would have liked the show. I didn't think it was, uh, and then, but then Ca- I thought Cavalcade was a good series. I liked Stroke of Fate, the 13 shows that NBC did in 53 where they did reverse history. Check that one out, Patricia. You'll see what you think. Have you heard Stroke of Fate yet? No. They were 13 shows 
and they dealt with such subjects as the first show dealt with what if Robert E. Lee had accepted Lincoln's offer and commanded the Union Army. And they did Oh, I have heard some of those shows. Might have happened. Yes. And the third, the second show dealt with Queen Elizabeth and the Earl of Essex. The third show, which was the one that introduced me to Stroke of Faith, what if Alexander Hamilton had killed Aaron Burr? Mm-hmm. I, that, and that's one I heard. You did hear that one. I did hear that one, and I heard the Grant and Lee one. But I don't know why. Why would I have heard that? I don't remember what – I didn't did recognize of, Stroke of Faith, but I recognized the two shows that you just mentioned. What did you think of that one? I thought they were excellent. And as always, a, and there were legitimate historians were consultants because the historian would always speak at the end. Mm-hmm. And it was a New York cast, people like Alexander Scorby and Kermit Murdoch and all the great New York people were in the show. Uh, it only lasted 13 weeks. I don't know if, that, if it was because of low ratings or no sponsor or any radio show in 1953 would have had difficulty. But it was a it was a nice I mean it was a well done historic show, and I always like to read books about history being reversed. Uh, I like the Stephen King book. Normally I'm not into Stephen King's horror shows, but he did um, horror shows books. But he did a book a few years ago called 2263 about a man who has an opportunity to go back in time and try to save President Kennedy. And it's an excellent story. I mean, the character, uh, I won't tell you how it came out, but it was a, it, but, but I know there have been, there was a book that Jeff Greenfield wrote about if certain presidential elections had been reversed, what might have happened. And th that kind of thing has always interested me. And now it's time for my, I think I'll give you my review of the book. Hold on, let's make sure Patricia's there. Patricia, you there? I, th I think I'm here. Yeah. Am I still here? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I had to switch over. Uh, I, I have phone woes this week. Okay. Again, I'm sorry. I, I'll tell you what I think might have helped lead to the demise of the show or not extended. If I saw a Stroke of Fate as the title of a show, I would have bypassed Are we here? I would have bypassed it as... Um, a show Diary. like Diary of Fate. Yeah. But it's a t totally different show. Uh, and there were only 13. Um, but I think, and it was, there was one, for example, about uh, the Alaska Purchase. What if we had not purchased Alaska? Oh, sewage folly, yeah. Yeah, there was one about if, we, if France and England had used force against Hitler in 1936 when he annexed the Rhineland. There was one about um, if, if the U.S. had actually had a submarine, which was on the verge of being built during the Revolutionary War. The last one was, what if William the Conqueror had not conquered England? Um, and there's one about Cleopatra. What if she had married Julius Caesar? Um, so it was an excellent series, and I, I would recommend you listen to Stroke of Fate. Well, let's see. The book I'm going to talk to you about tonight is called Endgame, Bobby Fischer's, Remar Bobby Fischer's Remarkable Rise and Fall from America's Greatest Prodigy to the Edge of Madness by Frank Brady. It's 402 pages. It's published by Crown, a division of Random House. 
Frank Brady had, had written a book, a biography of Orson Welles earlier called Citizen Welles. He knew Bobby Fischer because Frank Brady was a chess player himself. Bobby was a very troubled person, apparently. He was born in Chicago. His mother was in a shelter when he was born. They later moved to New York, and they lived in Brooklyn. He became a chess fan at a very early age, became very good at chess. He was in tournaments as a child and then as a teenager. He was, uh, many people thought he was too young, and he couldn't really be that good, but he was. He was just amazing. Many Americans first truly became aware of him. He kind of put chess on the map in 1972 when he beat Boris Spotsky, the Soviet champ, in their famous World Chess Championship in Reykjavik, Iceland. Um, and he was considered a, it was considered a great victory for the United States in, in the midst of the Cold War. President Nixon even wrote Bobby Fischer a letter congratulating him on his victory. And Henry, he, during the tournament, he often would go into tantrums and threaten not to play. He even got notes from Henry Kissinger encouraging him to keep up the playing. Uh, after the chess championship in 72, also he was a, he was a Bible student. He, he was a member of a, of a religious group, and I'll, I'll keep the group nameless because many people may agree with this group, and I won't name the group because I don't want to offend anybody, but the group he was in had an apocalyptic view of the way the world would end, and he contributed money to this church. Uh, when the founders' predictions didn't come true in the 1970s, he became very disillusioned. Also, when he, he filed a suit against, well, for example, people wanted to, him to promote his chess ability. One company wanted him to produce a record album where he gave chess instructions. He didn't like the sound of his own voice on tape, but yet he didn't like professional narrators doing it either, so the, re the record album never came about. He wrote some books on chess that were fairly popular. In 1977, or seven, late 76, he filed a suit against Time Incorporated for some, I guess, some things they had written about him. The federal judge threw out the suit. After that, Bobby became an embittered, he became very embittered against the United States and its government because he believed the United States government and the judge were in cahoots with Time. He refused to pay taxes after that in the United States. He later went all around the world. He really got alienated with the government in 19, in the early 1990s when he played a chess match in Montenegro, which was, of course, part of Yugoslavia. At that time, they were having all those Bosnian things and all those, all those problems, and the United States said he could not go over there, so he broke U.S. law by playing in this tournament, and he sort of became a fugitive from justice. He became a, a staunch critic of the United States and its government. He would denounce the country on websites. His most bitter denunciation came on September 11th of 2001. He said uh, in, a, in a posting on the Internet that he was very happy that the United States had been attacked and they deserved what they got. He uh, he said he was happy about it. He urged the military to overthrow the U.S. government and put sane people in. Um, 
He went in various places. He was arrested at, in Japan at one point. There were efforts to extradite him back to the U.S., but he, his lawyers were able to get him out of that. Finally, he ended up in Iceland. Iceland took him in as a, uh, as a uh, you know, I guess, refugee or person. It's ironic. He and Boris Spotsky later became very good friends after, after the chess tournament. He didn't believe in doctors. When, when he was finally ill with adrenal and kidney problems, the doctors urged him to take certain treatments and exams and dialysis, and he wouldn't do it. Uh, he was in the hospital briefly, and the nurse, the staff, finally said they couldn't keep him in the hospital if they wouldn't, uh, if he wouldn't go along with treatments. And he died, I guess you could say, alone in Iceland on January 17th of 2008. Uh, he was buried in Iceland. There was some question as to whether he had fathered a certain child that wanted um, some of his money. And they, they did some DNA tests and found he was not the father. He was a very, very troubled man, but yet a genius. I guess you could say, in many cases, geniuses and madness kind of coincide. Um, How old was he when he passed away? I missed it. Well, he was born in 43. So let's see, that would have made him. 65? Yeah. Six, well, 65, I guess, almost 64, almost 65. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, very, a very troubled man. Uh, his September 11th comments, of course, alienated many people in the United States who had supported him. But um, a very troubled man, but a very well-written book. I don't know all the intricacies of chess, so there were some, perhaps some details that maybe, maybe the book drug at times. I will give the book three stars out of four. Very well-written, though. Three out of four is a good deal. Any comments? I I I knew he was a recluse. I knew there was always he was sort of people wondered what happened to him in the seventies. Yeah. You know, I remember that. Yeah. I didn't realize he passed away in two oh eight. So I, I that was a new piece of information. Well, yeah. what else is? I knew he had a very troubled life. Um, and it, it's interesting your comment, Jim. Oscar Levant. One of my quotes from Oscar Levant is that there's a fine line between genius and insanity and I have in, I have erased that line. Well, I'm thinking and, of, when I thought about it, I thought about Van Gogh. You know, ah, artist, interesting. You know, having having yeah. his ear cut off. Mhm. Um, and that's, you know, he obviously was a genius with with the paintbrush. But to cut off your own ear. And yeah. When did Bobby beat the computer? You know, I don't remember. I have to think about that. Oh, what I'm trying to remember. You know, I remember when he won the tournament in '72. That put him on the map. But were there anything before then? Oh yeah, that, many of them. Yeah. Oh, oh, so, yeah. Okay, so people knew of him but, before '72. Oh, yes, yes. And okay. attracted that much attention. Huh. Oh, in his September 11th rant, he said, "I did more for America than anybody else." He said. He said, I put, uh, he used some bad words, of course, I won't say those, but he also added, before then, America was a football nation, a baseball nation, but chess is intellectual, and I, 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 may, I put chess on the map in the United States, and he was, again, a very, a very troubled man, um, and it's, it's just hard, you know, it, it's hard to know, to judge the man, but he was just, he was just uh, yeah. very complicated.
I think that's a good word. Yeah. Next week or the following, whenever I can, I'm going to be doing the book I told you called Letter Perfect about the letters and their evolution. Excellent. That's one I think you'll really enjoy. I, I know you'll enjoy that one. I will enjoy that one. The question is, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I think I will. I've read part of it, I'm, but I wanted to reread it and keep my memory straight. I've read part of it already, but I just want to, I'm, sometimes I reread things to keep my memory straight and focused, especially if it's a long book like that. Yeah. Now, I still only wish you could have gotten your breakfast book. Eventually, the price will come in line, and there will be secondhand sellers with it. Well, look, if you, if you find the publisher, I'll contact the publisher, Patricia. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have um, an interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, another thing on the Bobby Fischer thing. There was a movie that came out, a theatrical film in the late 90s called Searching for Bobby Fischer about a little boy who wanted to be a chess star. It had nothing to do with Bobby Fischer, but his name was in the title. And uh, Bobby Fischer filed a complaint about his name not being used or not getting paid for using his money. But he lost that, too, because the argument went, if, if he's a public figure, then, you know, he, his name can be used. Yeah. yeah. It really was a sad commentary. I'd, I've read a little bit about Bobby Fischer over time. And it, just by the teaspoonful, you, you did the whole gallon. I did teaspoonfuls. And it just, it was such a sadness I felt for him because I know his brilliance, as you said, his brilliance separated him from the rest of the world. And it must be exceedingly lonely to have uh -huh. that kind of separation. And when you put your passion into one thing, one pursuit, one thing, yes. I mean, and chess, as I understand it, is a very, I mean, it's an art play, playing the game. I mean, using the board and the right moves and the, I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I remember, I've never played chess. I, I remember having pegboards as a child in school. Yeah. And I always think about, I had trouble just putting pegs in holes. And I couldn't even imagine, you know, uh, d uh, using the board and putting the pieces in a certain yeah. order. Yeah. You have to have a very good memory and be able to think ahead very far. The what if. If, he, you know, if, if your opponent has eight moves your brain has to come up with your eight responses before he makes that move. So it, it's an intriguing game. Another thing of books, I have heard this in the last week or two, and Walden mentioned this a few months ago to me, Harper Lee has finally written her long-awaited second novel. Well, they finally found it. I think they found it in her attic, <clears throat> and it's been published now. Have Pardon? you seen any reviews of it or anything on it? I saw something in the New York Times, but I can't recall. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, nothing's, nothing's going to match To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. Well, this but, apparently um, carries on the story with Atticus Finch years later uh, when, Har when she was a college mm -hmm. I did read a book about Harper Lee this year called Mockingbird, a biography of her, and it was very interesting reading about her childhood in, in her in Alabama, her friendship with Truman Capote, and by the way, mm -hmm. chapter, you know, she helped Truman Capote 
when he was writing, uh, researching in cold blood that murder case in Kansas in 1959, uh-huh. uh, Harper Lee went to Kansas with him to assist him in research. And and I'm not belittling Truman Capote, his voice or his personality, but can you imagine how the people of Western Kansas must have reacted when they first saw him? Uh, he was an unusual character. You're right. And it was Harper Lee that turned the the chief police investigator on to cooperating because Truman had failed miserably and she helped him with the research she she even helped interview when he became friends with the two killers before their execution she helped him in interviewing them and uh, sadly when the book came out when In Cold Blood came out and it was for a crime book it was a very well written crime book I know I know true crime isn't one of your favorite subjects I know, but it was a well-written book, and he was able to put the characters not only of the town of Holcomb together, but the killers, but he, he dedicated the book to her, but in the acknowledgments, he didn't mention her, and I understand she was very, they remained friends, but she was hurt that he did not acknowledge her help more in promoting the book. Mm-hmm. It didn't end their friendship, but it affected it. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any problem with true crime. Well, I truly don't. There as long as there's a puzzle in it. No, you're not a fan of Dragnet and those police shows. No, no. And, gee, I'm going to have to make out a list of my unfavorite shows <laughs> and come up with justifications <laughs> for not liking them. I, mean, you know, I know your comment on Dragnet was one time, I can read it in my newspaper every day. I, I know. It's it. There are such painful situations that are frequently addressed in uh, in I was going to say Gunsmoke in Dragnet that you know if I if I wanted to listen to this and have my heart hurt I could just watch the news on television so I, I don't get any pleasure out of Dragnet that's the best I can I can put and, and you feel similar about shows like Gangbusters and uh, this is your Gangbusters episode. I think is just no <laughs> Well, Gangbusters is the show. I'll have to go I, listen to I, Gangbusters. This morning, I guess this week is, would have been Stacey Harris's birthday, and he t- Max Mead this morning played. He wa- he said he he played an escape that Stacey Harris was in, but he commented on, "This is your FBI," and he talked about it was the FBI show approved by Hoover, and he was not a great fan of "This is your FBI." He said he thought many of the shows he used a C word to describe the show, many of the later shows. And, and again, they, we've talked in the past, Walden, about how many of those shows were preachy, and I'm sure Hoover approved of those scripts. And it was, you know, a good public relations for the FBI. I always, I always liked the FBI in Peace and War more, and it was the unofficial program. Yeah. But, uh, but that, but, but anyway, reading about Truman Capote and the research for that book was was very, very interesting, and and apparently uh, um, Harper Lee, you know, really assisted him, and and it did affect their relationship. But it was also interesting reading about her childhood in Alabama and uh, the message she was trying to give in the book. And the book was a very powerful. The, I've I've read the book. It's a very powerful book. Um, and she was able to convey, you know, through the character of Scout, you can sort of, I could sort of imagine what the kids were, what life in that town would have been like in the 1930s. 
She mentioned Elmer Davis, by the way, in To Kill a Mockingbird, by the way. One, one old-time radio reference. She said her father used to listen to the commentaries of Elmer Davis every night and express concern about Hitler's aggression. And so she did mention Elmer Davis. So hmm. it did come up in the book. I, I wonder, though, I've read the book. But I think so so many people regard the movie as being a classic with Gregory Peck. Well, it was. And that's what I'm thinking. Most people think of it because of the movie rather than her book. And, I th- and that's the problem. If they ever make the, se- if they make the sequel into a movie, since he's gone now, it wouldn't have the same impact, you know, without Gregory Peck playing the lawyer as an older person. It wouldn't have the same and the, the the ones who played the kids were good too in that in that. By the one interesting story about To Kill a Mockingbird, my mother and grandmother wanted to came, wanted to see that when it was out, and we, they were going to take us to see the show, my brother and I, and, and I think my sister. And she read in the PTA magazine, which is a, parent, a, a magazine my mom subscribed to, where they did movie reviews that it wasn't the kind of movie children should see in the PTA magazine's review, so we didn't get to see the film. She said later, she said, the PTA was totally wrong on that. You should have seen it. It was, you know, it was a... uh, uh, And then she she finally said, later, the PTA bad-valved a Disney movie that came out that same year called Savage Sam about a dog. It was a sequel to Old Yeller. And they badmouthed that film, saying it wasn't really the right kind of film for kids either because of some of the Western violence, et cetera. And she said, well, if they don't even like a Disney film, who cares about the PTA magazine? <laughs> you know? uh, but it, it, but uh, it was a powerful film. I saw it later and, of course, read the book. So, Well, that's pretty much it for tonight. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Um uh, I, oh, but one comment on Archie and Archie and Kraft. One difference in that 1949 summer series, I've heard one or two recordings, the sponsors on this Archie show in the summer were like, instead it wasn't so much the cheese and the macaroni, but it was Kraft chocolate malties, the malted milk. It was Kraft caramels, you know, the candy. And it was the Kraft uh, ice cream, the, the, the ice cream thing that Kraft made. I forgot what it was called. I did not even know they had those products. Yeah. If you listen, I'll be darned. Those with Kraft, with Archie, caramel. Oh, boy, was that kissy with kids or what? Gee, <laughs> Williker. Wait a minute, adults like them, too. Yeah, that's true. Well, I know, but gee, yeah, you know, but, yeah, I don't but. think adults surrounded the radio and told everybody to be quiet because Archie was on. Yeah, it was, a, and I don't know how, they only did it that one summer, I guess, is a way, and it's interesting that Swift only sponsored it one season, the 47-48 season. <coughs> and so, was, it, was it sustained? Yeah. The, rest, the rest of the years it was, uh-huh. No, I know we talked, there were two shows about teenage girls. There was a date with Judy was one of them. And what was the other show about a girl? Well, you have several, actually. You have a date with Judy. Corliss Archer. Meet Corliss Archer. Yeah, you, Corliss Archer and Junior Miss. And Junior Miss. Yeah, there were two. And then Shirley Temple had one. Well, actually, there was also that Bruce. I haven't heard any shows, but there was also a teenage show called That Brewster Boy. Right, but that didn't start a girl. That started a boy. Right, I'm Eddie just going to Archie, Aldridge Family, That Brewster Boy. Uh-huh. So I guess there were three teenage teenage shows for boys and three for girls, I guess. 
or four for well, girls. I, could, I couldn't consider Archie anything other than, you know how for so many years moms were criticized that they were plopping their kids in front of the television and the television was the babysitter? Yeah. I think that's what they used Archie for. But remember, it was, it was Phil. It was Saturday morning. They just... Remember, traditionally, radio on Saturday was not really the, a big emphasis because that's when kids went out and there played. There were only a few children's yeah. program. You think of Saturday morning as being children's radio? Well, there weren't as many children's programs on radio as there were on television no. on Saturday morning. Because on Saturday morning, you had Les Pretend, you had the Buster Brown Gang. Mm -hmm. Later in the 50s, you had Big John and Sparky's No School Today and Space Patrol. But my, but a lot of your Saturday shows were like dramas adults would have listened to, like right. Grand, uh, Grand Central Station, Station, Stars Over Hollywood, and Lincoln Highway, and uh, Armstrong's Theater of different different Saturday dramas. Well, Frank Merriwell, I guess teenagers would have liked. Did you like Frank Merriwell? Which one of us are you asking? Uh, Frank, did you like The Adventures of Frank Merriwell? No, are you asking Walden or are you asking me? You. You're the, you're the historian, Patricia. Did you like Frank Merriwell, Patricia? 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 I'm th yeah, yeah, I just dropped off for a minute. Okay. Um, did, you like Frank, did, you, did, did you like Frank Merriwell? Well, it... <laughs> it <laughs> Am I setting myself up for hits tonight? You know, it actually was a pretty good show. It, it, listening to it today is an experience because it's a snapshot of times that, goodness gracious, none of us would ever know about. I mean, they would go out in a buggy, a horse-drawn buggy, yeah. to, and yet to rescue know. someone to get and back in time. You know, no Frank was lost again, and they had to go find him. It was really, it's really an interesting show, and it's not a matter of like or dislike. It's a kid's show, and I think it was really well done. Yeah, I, would, I like them. I like them. Um, it was, um, yeah, and, you know, I, you know, it reminded you, and it wasn't, and, it, and also since it was college and not high school, oh, mm -hmm. might have liked the show more. Yeah. I think a college... You know, Walden and I talked about this one time in writing the hero, when you're writing in juvenile areas, the hero is always older than the listener, I'm sorry, than the reader. So if you have a 10-year-old group reading a book that is designed for 10-year-olds, you're going to have a hero who's 13 or 14. Like Jack Arthur. Maybe 12. Yeah. So it's something that they can aspire to. It's someone they can look up to. It's not a contemporary or a peer. It's a contemporary, but not a peer. It's someone older. Yeah. And I think that probably fits the Frank Merriwell profile that it might have been pre-high school or early high school kids who would listen to that mm -hmm. because he was a college student. Right. Uh, are we being too hard on R.C. Andrews, then? Uh, too hard? Yes. Hello? <laughs> Hello? I, have, I couldn't find my sledgehammer. 
So I did the best <laughs> I could without it. Right. So, I mean, so, see, if I was supposed to be about 13 or 14, that's written for an 8-year-old. I mean, how did the, the demographic no. for 8-year-old no. kids? Allow, allow me to elucidate and clarify. <laughs> well, I will say that uh, Ron and I were talking about the one thing that I remember most about the show was, of course, the dad going, quiet, quiet, quiet. But, of course, in time, open, even that open, would wear open. again after a few weeks, you know, after, you know, saying it every week. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but, Kim, if you and I were eight years old, you might like the show. Yeah, well, I guess so. I guess that's the way you have to view it. You have to view it from your age. Okay, now, Patricia, I will give you the floor. Thank you. Okay. There is no way... Archie could be a hero. It is a hero who is older. Archie was uh, just plain stupid. So you tell me I was a stupid. You tell me I was a. I was a stupid. You tell me I was a stupid kid. Could I like the show as a kid? No, no. Um, I'm saying Archie was stupid. <laughs> and. You managed to get your comment in there before I got to say. Okay. However, yeah, <laughs> yeah but I know there obviously are people who enjoyed the show when they were kids. Well, you. I don't you think even a sustaining show when you listen could fill a, close, when you, fill in a blank. Patricia, when you yes. listen to the closing each week, and they're signing off, you, you can hear the enthusiasm of the audience of kids. You would agree they were enjoying it. The studio no. was. I, I wouldn't, <laughs> only because I've done some reading in John Dunning, who said the kids got enthusiastic because they had people out in the audience prompting them. Oh, get up, remember scream, this. yell. Yeah, yeah this well, was not a spontaneous thing on their part. Well, they were being told how to, how to react. Well, if Bob and Hal used to say, they did things on purpose to get the audience to laugh they and do things. things to make yeah, and I, I would, I would go along with that. Yeah, they, they did trap falls all the time. Well, they, they did, did visual yeah. things. Oh yeah. They did visual. Oh yeah, they did visual things. They did things with their faces. They did everything, every trick in the book to, to get a laugh. Okay. Yeah. They probably, they probably the audience waving their arms. Yeah, they well. probably. <laughs> They probably knew it was a terrible script. I mean, you could get a laugh out of a rock, for goodness yeah, sake, with they, that combination. They probably knew it was a terrible script. But as Bob Hastings always said, he was a businessman. He made sure he got a paycheck out of it. So, so you know, he said, I yeah. I, I had four kids to feed. You know. well, no well, no criticism the Ald- of the actors. Listen to the Aldrich says, family. I get, since it was a night show, I get the impression the audience was more of an adult audience for the Aldrich family, right? Interesting. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, I'm, I, see, Pat- Patricia's premise for the Aldrich family has been written for kids to 13 years old, right, Patricia? I said that. Well, I'm just, I'm just wondering that the are hero. You, are you inserting, or or are you repeating <laughs> something that I don't remember? But the audience. Well, didn't we, didn't we just didn't you just what? say 10 minutes ago that generally a hero's older than the audience? Well, What's on the Aldrich family, my opinion is the audience was more adult. Well, I'm just trying to get Patricia. I'm analyzing Patricia. Trying to Patricia. get me all worked up I'm here. just trying to analyze Patricia's statements. I'm lathering. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is good. I wrote the word drop boxed 
the other day, meaning I put it in your Dropbox. Uh-huh. We make verbs out of everything in this world. <laughs> I mean, impact is a noun. We use it as a verb. I impacted him now. I mean, we, we just do such awful things. What, what was something you mentioned last week? Um, a certain word that we all now use as an act, as a uh, a verb, but it really is a, a noun. I don't know. Well, I think you mentioned something last week, and I didn't think about it. Or maybe some of the radio show I heard. Yeah. No, I, d- I don't recall having said that, which okay. doesn't mean anything, because I don't recall having had breakfast. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, I, I rely on you to hey, be my memory. Forward, Patricia, to some more of your awful shows. I know you've found, I'm sure you're finding new ones all the time, right? Did, oh, boy, did I find some this week. Wowzers. Uh, can you give me one sneak preview of one that you've... Well, if you could hold on, and I'll have to talk quietly because I'll be next to a common wall, and the walls are thin in an old building. Hold on. Just hold on. This is the USA. We're talking to Patricia and Jim. Yeah. It is uh, next next month. It's already a week from Saturday, August. So I hope you get your Christmas shopping in early this year. Because uh, it's coming fast. Here at Yesterday USA. Um, just to give you the heads up, I think this you have one more week to hear Howard Duff. The Howard Duff interview that Larry did for Spurvac. And then after that will be Jack Crucian. We talked to Jack, John Larry did about his days uh, putting together Armed Forces Radio, for the things he did. So those are some of the things you'll hear on the Spurvac show. Spurvac okay. convention. Are we ready? I'm ready. All right, we've got two local shows titled Club Time. I'm not sure about that. You know, you pick on local shows and they did the best they could, but some of them are really awful, so they're fun to listen to. I'm going to reprise Orphans of Divorce because we talk about that one so often. And it's been episode? three years. Hmm? Have you found another episode? No. Well, yes. Ron in Hawaii sent me a CD with odds and ends filling, filled up with odds and ends. And there were I two hope Ron episodes. is bad, by the way. I heard last week on Radio Once More from Neil that Ron was in the hospital. I hope he's out now. Have you heard any news? Yeah, he called in last week. And he has been very ill. Um, so I made him a CD today that I have to get out in the mail next week. But he is out. Yes. He is out. Yes, he's home. He's home. So, all right. So I've got reprising Orphans of Divorce because the second episode sounded more like a soap opera than the original one. So we're, we're reprising that. I have a standby for crime that's terrible. Police headquarters is terrible. The one club time that I just talked about, Phil Coe, the detective. Yeah. You there? I think we're waiting to see if Patricia comes back. Okay. Something I always like to be sure I'm connected. I'm sorry. I dropped off again. You're back. I, I, yeah, I am. You know, whenever I drop off, I'm going to be back, but you just don't know I'm gone. Well, that's why we, That's why I figured we'd just step in and wait till you come back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Three of a kind. I don't know about that one. I've, I've listened to it. It's an audition show with John Brown as the host, and I think it's 
pretty bad. I'll have to listen to it again to. Uh huh. And Patricia's gone again. We'll wait till she uh, reappears. Here in just the USA, the tonight light three sixty five will be taking it down uh, somewhere. Yeah, I'm taking myself down. I really apologize. I think it's a connection problem with CenturyLink because it keeps saying, "Welcome, we're connecting." So maybe it isn't my phone no, after all. So we have, we'll try it. Otherwise, I'll get a new phone. By the way, so I've but, got three of a kind. Yeah. Salute to the law. Little man inside has got to be. Thank goodness somebody truncated the show. I think it's probably a half an hour show and it ends in 15 minutes. I think the person who recorded this episode probably couldn't stand it any longer <laughs> than that. So everyone will be grateful that that's only 15 minutes. Leo and the Blonde. Don't ask. And then, of course, Jeff and Lucky with Olin Sule. So I got like, oh, and Lone Indian. Does anybody, do you know that one, Walden? No, that's a new one on me. What's that last one oh. called? Lone Indian. Uh, was he a companion of the Lone Ranger or, or, or what? I don't think so. Okay. No, it's just kind of a stupid Western Indian show. <laughs> I don't pick good stuff, Walden. <laughs> I pick awful stuff. Two stories. So anyway, that's, Before I go, that's, that's what I'm working on for this I week. want to ask hmm? you about if you've had a chance to hear them yet. And, and you know, they, they were religious dramas, but I thought they were very well produced. Have you had, had, had a chance yet to hear many episodes of both The Eternal Light and The Greatest Story Ever Told? I have listened to several episodes of The Greatest Story Ever Told, and I, I can't recall how many are there. There's more than 100, right. and there are more than 100. And Eternal Light I have not listened to yet, and it is available. I know it's available. About 700 of them or something. Yeah. And, and I think that one's fairly have. I thought the greatest story was pretty good. It had a New York cast. Mm-hmm. It, it, the stories spoke themselves. They didn't, there wasn't a lot of preaching on the shows. You know, it was, the stories spoke for themselves, and I thought it, considering what it was, and I thought it was a very well-produced, very well-done series. I think it's fascinating that it was sponsored, but the sponsor never had his name mentioned until the very end. This was sponsored by... And it was required by law, but no commercials. You know. The show was so... Re- re- they wanted to approach it with such reverence right. that they didn't... Uh, and also, for years, the act by Jesus, Warren Parker, wasn't even known mm-hmm. on the radio. He was never given on-the-air credit. Uh, the supporting players were all the great ones, like Wendell Holmes and Ralph Bell and Carl Weber and you know all the big, mm-hmm. all the big New York New York actors. For a while, Norman Rose was the narrator, and so was Ted Pearson. Uh, it had a, it had a choir and an orchestra. Um, the Eternal Light was very good too, and it was it was for the Jewish faith. Right. But they the stories weren't necessarily endorsing the faith. They might do a story on American history, or they might do an original fantasy or something. It was. And it was also produced in New York by NBC, and they were both, I thought both of them were excellent Sunday series. Well, they got me about the Eternal Light. It ran until 1984. Yeah, it lasted a long time. It lasted a long time. So it's uh, good for them to keep drama going like that. Yeah, 
And um, it was, um, again, you know, people like Alexander Scorby and, mm-hmm. and uh, Rose and Leon Janney and all, all the big who's who of, of, New, of New York radio. Sure. Those are two more, Patricia, that I would recommend you. I think we lost oh. Patricia. Her phone died again. Oh, okay. Poor thing. Yeah, so people have told me get a cell phone, and I just say, everyone I have, oh, no, is in trouble with cell phones. Well, your buddy Ron got one. Well, I know. <laughs> and he he's, he says it's, he's getting better at using it. You know, uh-huh. it it was a little difficult, I guess he said at first to use parts of it, but he, he's getting a lot better. He's getting a lot better at it. Yep. Um. And let's see what else was I going to tell you. Um. Forgot what else I was going to tell you. Now. Oh, uh, that was an interest. As I said, that was an interesting special about Walt Disney last night. Sure was. Sure was. And, um, and, and it bring up to Larry my idea about Johnny Dollar mm-hmm. okay, when you do your recreations. Okay. Thank so I just tell you all, is Patricia back? Well, no, I got to go get her. So I will. Uh, tell you good night now, then. Okay, Jim. I'll talk to you soon. It's always a pleasure, Walter. You bet. Bye bye. Thank you. All right, there's Jim. And we're going to have to go get Patricia. So stand by, everybody. We'll be with you once I go get the first lady of Yesterday USA. Jaws for Windows is ready. Patricia Hewitt, Bill Bragg, Bill Cry. Skype trademark twenty. Mike Casey, Patricia Hewitt, phone number favorite, 21 of 188, application, send us invite the group, enter, leaving menus, contact, unloading, jock hands, okay, enter. I guess we lost Patricia for now. Okay. phone trouble. We're going to call her in a little while. So, Bet, we've got a call. Hello there. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, Walden. It's Ralph. How you doing? Good, Ralph. 
Good, Ralph. I got Patricia's having a little phone issue, so we'll call her back in a half hour. But anyway, how you doing, by the way? Oh, we're doing good over here, thank you. Good, good. Got a, uh, a broken windshield for some reason. I guess a stone hit it or something. Oh, good grief. How in the world that happened? you have any ideas? Uh, Tony thought she heard something uh, a couple of nights ago. It was right. Dry. And uh, there was no sign of it. Then the next morning, a crack appeared. So it must have got fractured somehow. I remember when my grandmother passed away in 1982 that night, somebody broke our window of a car, so I guess it does happen. And uh, my, yeah. but, my brother was driving home from work, and it was like an inter- you know one of those uh, off the freeway, something fell off and broke the back of his window. So you just never know. Yeah, no, you don't. You know, and, uh, our, our windshield had a lot of little... Uh, Little nicks in it, mm-hmm. little things, you know. Yeah. And frankly, I'm glad to see it go because the, the new one's beautiful. <laughs> how long did it take him to put it in? Did it take one day? How long? How big of a job was it? Well, one fellow has his shop down in Reading. Right. He did it in like thirty minutes. Holy cats! I mean, he really, he really did it good, uh, fast. I hope it's as good as it was quick. <laughs> and hopefully, so, and hopefully so the insurance when picked the it. Weather changed. And hopefully the insurance picked it up. Yeah, well, I had a on my comprehensive. I had a hundred deductibles, so uh, it cost me a hundred bucks. Okay, we can live with that. Not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Good grief! So hot the weather? Is it hot and humid where you are? It's hot and humid down here? Was it? Uh, uh, it's cool off up here compared to a week or so ago. Uh-huh. And, uh, I don't know, I think it's pretty pleasant right now. That's good. That is good. So, so you and Tony going to do anything here the next week or two? Are you going to get the boat out or anything, or just pretty much going to be... It, no- it's doubtful because there's not, not a lot of water, you know. Do you guys get into rain or with that one storm we had? Uh, about a week ago? Oh, yeah. We, we, we had a thunderstorm up here. I was sitting uh, up on the second floor here looking out the window. I saw this lightning flash come straight down, and it just missed my neighbor's house. It blew out his television, oh his computer, uh, his telephone. Everything got fried. And we lost a little television, a little internet service mm-hmm. for a very short period of time, but ours came back. He, I think he had to replace his TV and his computer. <laughs> oh, man. Not good. Oh, man. So what's new on the chicken report, if Patricia likes to know, and she's probably listening to us, so what, what's new with them? Oh, you know about the baby, right? Yeah, I heard that. I saw that email. Uh, we got a picture of the the little chick sitting on the mama's back. <laughs> it was really cute. So, and uh, the little chick is growing and doing very well. I have that. I have her and the mama isolated from the other chick. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the little chick does not shut up. <laughs> chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> 
so are you feeding it worms or what do you feed what do you feed a little chicken oh just chicken feed okay okay that's good enough for everybody we buy it at the feed store wow that's wow. the preparation you know so you don't have to really uh mix anything you just just put it in there for them, and by golly, they sure eat it. Wow. Good and grief. We had a, I don't, uh, you know, when, the, when the, the the mother chicken is brooding the egg, she almost completely stops eating. Huh. And, and uh, she stops laying eggs also. I guess she's tired. I guess. Now she, I, I see that she uh, she has the chick she is eating now. So have you learned a lot about chicken by raising them this time? I know you did it as a kid, but is it, have there been some new things you learned about doing it? Well, I learned, you know, I hesitated to get chickens because for some reason it seemed to me like it was going to be rocket science. <laughs> And it isn't, you know. It's it's pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. You keep them clean and dry, and sure. you feed them well. And uh, well, did you consider it that another animal, or was it going to be chickens all the way? Oh, I think we have enough animals. Okay. We have two uh, two wonderful uh, Labrador retrievers, mm -hmm. and. I think that's, that with the chickens is just about enough. <laughs> oh, gosh. Tony, Tony wants to have a chicken naming contest. <laughs> so we get, do we all get to put a bid in? How, how are we going to run the contest? Absolutely. We don't exclude anybody. Okay. My, my grandson, uh, among other things, Suggested Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so anybody out there got a name for uh, for the new chicken in the family? Uh, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a chicken. Now, how long how long is the contest going to run, Ralph? How long can we promote this? Well, I think we better. Give it a little time so we can figure out what it is. Okay, so what, a month? What do you think we need? A month, two months, three months, or what? Or we'll get you. You'll get announced that you'll announce that that's it. Yeah, I, I think uh, before the uh, the sex of the chicken is really apparent, I think it'll be a couple of months. Okay. I'm, I'm sure somebody out there knows how to. How to figure that out. But. So if you have a name for a boy and a girl chicken, you can email them both to Patricia at floridawriter at hotmail.com, and she'll forward them to Ralph. And Ralph can declare the winner here in a couple months of the chicken naming contest. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I got, we have too much time on our hands. Oh, I think it's a great idea. And the winner gets to have a picture of the chicken. You know, that we, we can email them the picture of the chicken. Right, Ralph? Tony had in mind, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sign, signed with the chicken's footprint on it and everything. Uh-huh. But uh, no money. No, no, no. We'll, get, we'll, 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 we'll send a picture of the chicken via email. Yeah, Tony... Uh, 
Tony barely gives me any money. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, the, the you know the allowance is all tight right now at the house. What can I say? Oh yeah, I think we've all had to pull in a little bit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow. Well. Patricia's phone. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll try again. So let me put a little music. So stand by, Ralph. We'll see if Patricia's phone is working. Wait a minute. Let me do this. Um, pay pay me, the bill. I, 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 I wish you could. Wait, hold on. We're going to play this. You and I will see if we'll go this way. So stand by, everybody. And Ralph and I will be back. Alright everybody, we, we brought Patricia via the old fashioned phone line because I want her to talk to Ralph. So you're there, right, Ryan. Patricia? You wanna say hi? You wanna say why you been, why you been missing? Are you there? Hi, you, you no, sound good. For another click. This is terrible. I really swear it's not me. It's not my fault. It's it's gotta be something else. Anyway, thank you for talking about the chicken name contest. <laughs> now if we if we come up with Something like Leslie or Sydney. Now that's that can go on either side. If it's a little boy or a little girl, it would work. Yeah, but don't you think it'd be fair that we often let everybody have a boy and a girl name? They can submit both of them to to you. That would be fun. That way, Ralph and, the, Ralph and Tony can vote in the house. I know the the chicken won't mind, no matter what we name it. <laughs> I guess not. You know, puppies don't mind that either. Uh, so, how about, uh, could we just name it Colonel Sanders? No, that probably would not work, right? Well, I, <laughs> my, they might object to that. <laughs> they might object to that one. Could I? Could I say one bad word? It's not. Well, a I don't wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Uh, uh, wait a minute! Do 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 we want to have a show next week, Patricia? Oh, it's it's not that bad. Okay, so Bill Bragg won't won't mind if you say it. I don't, I don't think so, because it's associated with a story. Okay, all right. I had, I had this little kitten, you know, my little feral kitten. Yeah. She'd sit in the palm of my hand when I got her, and she was a terror from five weeks. She thought her name was Dammit, because no oh. matter where I turned, I said, Dammit, get out of there. Dammit, stop chewing on the wires. The poor little cat thought her name was Dammit. Well, I can understand that. So what oh, did... When my uh, grandson and his wife were up here, uh, I guess it was a week ago on the weekend, uh, we went over to the neighbor's house because he, uh, he has a pistol range on his property. And my grandson is a federal officer, and he likes to shoot. So we went over there. In the meantime, 
the guy had a whole bunch of kittens over there. So they took one home with them. And uh, its name is Lewis for Lewiston. That's cute, and it's a boy cat. Yeah, somebody dropped off this poor little cat that was going to have babies. People do that. People have no conscience when it comes to stuff. I say people. That's a terrible Uh, thing to say. Some people ought to be ashamed of themselves. I I agree with you. But uh, luckily they they dropped it off at the right place, and my my neighbor's wife, you know, were feeding it and taking care of them, so. But, yeah, people have them for a pet, and they don't have them fixed, and they have babies, they throw them away. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite pet growing up, Ralph? Did you have a favorite dog or a favorite cat or anything you were growing up as a kid? Well, I always had dogs. Uh, You know, we've had probably nine or ten dogs since we're married. And we've only had two cats. But the, the last cat we had, he was a character. If you're working out in the yard, he would come over and sit and watch you. And he would bring birds home. And all sorts, he brought a snake home. Luckily, it was a harmless snake yeah, but uh, we're really dog people. Well, can't, can't, but you had a couple of cats, so you at least even out the score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, if I could find another cat like the last guy we had, I would most likely bring it home. He was, he was a very good cat. You know, where we live, uh, we don't have a cat box. You open the door and you let the cat out. <laughs> you come back when it's done. You... That simplifies stuff. Yeah, it makes it makes life a lot easier. I, I can't stand the smell of cat boxes. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so did you doggy have a doggy box, or you let him stick out there and do your thing, and come back when you're ready? Oh, yeah, we can let them out the door, and they run out and do what they're going to do and come back. We, we, you know, we got a fairly good-sized piece of land here. Yeah. And both of them are Labrador Retrievers, and they, they are just they're just the finest dogs that ever lived. They, 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 they won't leave the property. They, they'll chase deer, and they chase the deer... I don't know how they know where it is, but they chase them to the pro- property line. <laughs> and once they're off the property, they stop. Okay. They know where the property line. They read the map, I guess. I guess uh, it must have a surveyor's map or something. <laughs> but, uh, the two dogs we have now are as good or better than any dogs we ever had. Well, we've had some real nice ones, you know. So what breed are the dogs? The names? No, the breed. What 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 kind? Oh they're they're both chocolate labs. Okay. And they're this this I'm smart, it's hard. 
it's hard to say anything because they, they understand everything you say. Yeah. If I was, even sometimes when I spell the O-U-T <laughs> word, they get excited. <laughs> oh, gee. That's true. That's funny. And the younger guy, he he follows me around. He stays like one step behind me. He watches every move I make. He's never been trained to heal, but he does it naturally. Mm. And I, I, you know, I've had people comment, say, "Oh, he's well trained." He's not well trained. He's smart. And your answer is, "Yes, I am." Oh yeah, I trained <laughs> yes, myself. So, did you ever train any of your dogs to do things like to go get the paper or go get a stick? Did you ever train any of your? Well, I've had I've had quite a few dogs that were retrievers, uh-huh. and you know they just retrieve by instinct. I had a, I had a, uh, a wonderful Irish setter, and he you know if you threw a stick, he would go get it, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't bring it back to you. He'd bring <laughs> it back to me. I'm telling you. I was always—I don't know—they're just amazing pets. I really, uh, I really like dogs. I can tell. Oh, you still have that kitten, Patricia? No, I had to find a home for her. I've only got a little apartment—I mean, really, a little apartment—and. she and I just, I mean, it, it was just too small for her. She was nothing but energy from morning to night. Yeah, there's something else. Yeah. So, We're having an um, uh, influx of squirrels over here. Oh, gee. We have a bird feeder that's up on a pole, you know, up a, mm-hmm. a narrow metal pole and it hangs there. And the squirrel's climbing up the pole. And, and bridging across, grabbing a hold of the bird feeder, and then hanging there and eating. Oh, my gosh. So today I, I greased the pole. I was just <laughs> going to ask you, I, you, you greased the doorknob for your poor boss. Why wouldn't you grease the pole? <laughs> <laughs> I This week we I went to the fair, and uh, Thursday, thinking of squirrels, this is, uh, we had a chef talk about crops and food from California, and I did not realize that that... California is the nut capital of the world, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I had that impression when I walked around the streets. <laughs> For example, we are the nut capital of the walnuts. 85% of the world's walnuts come from here. Really? I think you're up there with almonds as well. Also, 99% of all cashew nuts are from California. I did not know that. Um, wh- One third, no, yeah, let me see it. Two-thirds of all fruits are from California in the United States. One-third of all vegetables are from the United States. Huh. And and we're the dairy capital. We have 21% of all the dairy products are from from California. You're going to have a lot of people in Wisconsin. So I was just thinking when 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 Ralph was talking about squirrels, you always think about nuts, nuts and squirrels, or stuff yeah. like that. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we must have a, a mama squirrel 
uh, who delivered a lot of babies this year. <laughs> We've got four or five, maybe six, I don't know. I'm thinking of trapping them and uh, relocating them. You going to move them next door? You going to move them to the neighbors? I, I would take them up by the lake and set them free up there. Uh, they'd be very happy there, I'm sure. They'd be fighting with the beavers, right? Well, you know, we do have beavers and, and there's some otters up at the lake, too. Well, the otters are fun, river otters. They are so cool. Well, most of the books. Most of the boat owners that keep their boats in the water mm-hmm. are anti-otter. I, I would think they probably are. Mm. <laughs> they get up and they chew your seats. and oh, oh, they can be such rascals. Yeah, they, they really are. Yeah. They're fun, uh, but though. I, I think that they're protected. I don't think you're supposed to do them in. I would think that would be correct, yeah. Uh, you know, all the others, uh, you see them, uh, uh, documentaries about otters and the way they slide up and down in the snow and mm-hmm. very playful little critters. They are. They are. They do the same thing on riverbanks. They love mud. <laughs> so. uh, well, Ralph, it is always such fun to talk with you, and we will remind people periodically that the chicken naming contest is on. We need a boy name and a girl name because you don't know which one is going to apply. <laughs> and you can send your votes to floridawriter at hotmail.com. And the winner gets a, a, get a photo of the chicken via email. <laughs> hey, oh, we'll send them an 8x10 glossy. All right. Autograph, right? You and Tony will autograph it. Oh, no, we're going to put the chickens on it. There you go. Chicken, chicken, chicken scratches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I was glad I got through when I did because I was just about ready to give up. Well, I'm glad you got in, Ralph. What can I say? Yeah, yeah I'm happy. And I'm glad Patricia phone worked for a change, so we got her to bring her into the conversation. So it all worked out. Are you trying to call me and I didn't answer? Yeah. I know what happened. Well... When the one phone died, so did the ringer. And yeah. The ringer turned off. The- yeah. Oh, wow. So that's why I figured I better do- drop it. No, I didn't. I dropped it and went there and stuff like that there. And stuff. Oh, uh, well. I, and stuff, definitely, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. All right, listen, so, I'll get out of your hair and I'll try and call you next week. All right, Ralph, be good. Ralph, thank you for calling. Okay, good night. Good night. Bye. I'm so messed up with my phones that it's it's a good thing for tonight. Well, I guess so. Now, right now, we can't take any calls because it's Patricia, I put Patricia on the studio line. So I thought this would be a good time to actually play a Fibber McGee and Molly Christmas show. Oh, that would be cool. That way. Best Christmas night in July. Yeah, but we can always stretch it into August, September, October, November. They're going to play Christmas music. And the station is doing it part. <laughs> So I got thinking what to play, and I, I think I have them on the computer. One of Patricia's favorites. Uh, the, I'm going to look for December 16, 1941, where February brings a Christmas tree home. And it starts oh, to trimming. Oh, fun. 
Yeah. Oh, that's a fun one. So that's the one I want to go get. And then after that, we'll bring Patricia in via Skype, and we can take calls. So Okay. I will go put me in the charger and listen to the show. All right. Have fun. Okay. Bye. All right, everybody. And we're going to put Patricia down, and she do that. And she loves the music, huh? We're going for that. There we go. JAWS Professional Sound Forge Pro 11.0 Tab, Gasman and Hughes, Windows M, Desktop, Fold S, Skype, S, Snap S, Saturday Nightly Enter, Saturday F, Fibber McG Enter, Fibber McG and Molly Folder, Not Selected, Fibber McG and Molly 12-28-43, Fibber McG and Molly 12-24-46, Fibber McG and Molly 12-24-461, Fibber McG and Molly 12-23-41, Fibber McG and Molly 12-22-47 Fibber McG and Molly 12-22-42 Fibber McG and Molly 12-21-48 Fibber McG and Molly 12-21-43 Fibber McG and Molly 12-20-49 Fibber McG and Molly 12-20-491 Fibber McG and Molly 12-19-44 Fibber McG and Molly 12-18-45 Fibber McG and Molly 12-18-455 Fibber McG and Molly 12-18-453 Fibber McG and Molly 12-17-4 Fibber McG and Molly 12-16-41 Unloading JAWS, CANTS, OK, ENTER
The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with songs by Martha Tilton and the King's Men, and music by Billy Mills. The show opens with the National Emblem March. I heard an officer of the Red Cross speak last night. He was asking for money. He said in part that it was customary these days to preface any request for help with an apology, but that he wasn't making any apology. Neither are we. The Red Cross needs $50 million, urgently and immediately. Now, for 130 million people, that's the price of a few cigars or a lipstick. The Red Cross is always ready to help in times of war and disaster. And from now on, the demands upon them will be great. But we are a great nation. So let's give till it hurts. Seventy-nine Wistful Vista is not one to squander a buck and a quarter for a Christmas tree when he can drive out to the woods and chop down his own. No, sir. And here, driving up to the house, frostbitten but triumphant, we find that lumberjack who saves Jack on his lumber, Fibber of Fibber McGee and Molly. Gotta get them brakes fixed. Boy, am I cold. Ah, well, come on, Christmas tree. Come to Papa. You got a new home. Oh. McGee, you're getting snow all over the hall. Why didn't you stamp your feet? Why should I stamp my feet? I ain't mad at anybody. Besides, they're so cold, I'm just walking from memory. Oh. <laughs> Here, you poor lad. Let me take your coat and your mittens. Thanks, Molly. Hey, take a gander at that tree, will you? Ain't she a whopper? Heavenly days, it certainly is. Yeah, it was the pick of the whole woods, Molly. I had to fight off 20 other guys to get it, too. They all wanted it. Oh, did you actually fight for it, dearie? Oh, it didn't come down to actual brawl, no. One guy ups to me and says, that's my tree, shorty. And I says, yeah, I says, 
tossing my hatchet up in the air and catching it by the handle. <laughs> Try and get it, I says. You don't need this tree for last Christmas, I says. And he says, what do you mean last Christmas? Well, I says, sinister-like, advancing toward him with a nasty look. You lay a blade on that balsam bud, and last Christmas was your last Christmas. <laughs> Good for you, McGee. Did he go away then? No. He started swinging his axe at me. <laughs> and just then I noticed that this tree, which was a little farther along and was even bigger and better. Oh, yeah. So I just sneered and walked away. Double time. Well, it certainly is a big one. What'll we do with it after Christmas? Hollow it out and make a canoe? Shucks now, Molly. Just what took you so long to get it home? You know, you've been gone six hours. Well, I had a blowout on the way back and had to stop and buy a new second-hand tire. Oh. Cost me seven bucks. Where's the hatchet? I lost it in the snow. I know just where it is, and next spring when the snow melts, I'll... Oh, my gosh. What's that? Oh, it's that window in the dining room. I opened it because it was so hot in here, and it won't stay open. No. Well, I'll fix it when I get time. By the way, what time is it? It's after four. Why? Where's your wristwatch? Well, I took it off to chop this tree down and forgot all about it. Uh -huh. <laughs> then when I went back to look for it, it had snowed some more and covered it up. Well, that's fine. A $30 wristwatch, a $2 hatchet, and a $7 tie. $39 for a 98-cent Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, happy Yuletide. <laughs> well, I didn't want one of those measly little moth-eating shrubs they're selling downtown. When I want a tree, I want a tree, not a bouquet. Come in. Oh, hello, Mayor Latrivia. Uh, good day, Mrs. McGee. I say, McGee. Yes? About that job you wanted in the city hall. I'm still working on it, but I'll have to have a little information. Well, tell the nice mayor what he wants to know, dearie. Okay. Dig me, Latriv. <laughs> well, first, can you dominate people? Can you let the ones in that you really want to see and shut the rest out? Absolutely. Another thing, McGee, can you stand it physically? To be mauled by crowds of people all asking questions. Can you ignore the whispers behind your back? Can you give orders in a loud tone of authority? Boy, can I. Listen to this, Triv. All right, folks. As captain of the detective force of Whistful Vista, I order you to make way there. Stand back, everybody. The oh, police... Uh, <clears throat> this wouldn't be a police job, McGee. Oh. But one of the elevator operators has just been drafted, and I've suggested you. <laughs> I'll let you know later. A good day. Why, that small-minded, boat-grabbing, baby-kissing... Now, boy. now, now. Never mind that now. Say, uh, uh, where should we place this tree, McGee? I don't know. Where do you think? Well, offhand, dearie, I'd say it was a toss-up between the Grand Canyon and Death Valley. <laughs> Shucks, I told you I gotta trim it down a little. Get me a hatchet, will you? The hatchet, dear boy, according to your official communique... Yeah. <laughs> Is at present sleeping its edge off under a snowdrift 18 miles north of town. Yeah, well, we got a saw, haven't we? Not a very good one. It's all bent. Who bent it? You did. Huh? After you saw that vaudeville act at the Bijou last uh, October, you tried to play Pony Boy on it, remember? <laughs> well, I guess it'll still work. Hey, it's awful hot in here. Yes, it is. I'll open that dining room window again. Okay. The thermostat on the furnace is out of order, and I've got to get a... Boy, am I tired. Ah, but what a treat. Why, this will give us enough kindling wood for all summer. Except that we don't need any kindling wood in the summer. Say, <laughs> hey, McGee, I just thought of something. What's that? This tree is so big, our little ornaments are going to look awful silly on it. Yeah, I never thought of that. I better order a bigger assortment of ornaments. Now, hand me the phone, will you? Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me the wistful vista novelty and day. Oh, is that you, Merchant? No. 
How's every little thing, Mert? Huh? Who? Your niece. Somebody grabbed her and kissed her during the blackout. Oh, heavenly day, Ziggy. Does she know who it was? She'll recognize him when she sees him. He'll have <laughs> lipstick all over his face, neck, and shirt front. <laughs> From just one kiss? What do you mean, one kiss? That blackout lasted three hours. <laughs> what say, Mert? Okay, I'll call him later. Hey, did you get me the saw, Molly? Here it is, dearie. Now, don't get sawdust all over my floor. Why not? It'll make Uncle Dennis feel at home. <laughs> now, let's see, I guess I better take a couple of feet off of the bottom first. Yes, and trim out a hundred or so branches. Tarzan or somebody might be hiding in there. Who? Tarzan. Who? I said Tarzan. Who? Oh, stop it, McGee. That's I didn't say funny. anything. You said Tarzan. Who? Tarzan. Who are you shopping at? Who? Hey, what the... McGee, it's an owl. He's in that tree. Huh? Look, up on the fourth branch. Oh, my... Oh, my gosh. Shake the tree, Molly. Open the door and we'll chew him out. Ooh. You! <laughs> Come on, get out of that, you big buzzard. Go on, scram. Hey. Take it harder, McGee. There he goes. Take him, Molly. Take him this way. Put out, put out, put out to the table. Ooh. Edge him toward the door, Molly. Wave your hand, Daddy. I am waving my hand. Chew, scat, go away, birdie. You won't even look at me, McGee. Well, owls don't see good in the daytime. Well, what do you expect me to do? Buy him some glasses? Hey, who? There he goes. Go on. Beat it. Scram. <laughs> well, thank goodness. Those things give me the creep. <laughs> me too. Though I will say it was decent of him to back up my judgment. What are you talking about? Well, owls are wise birds, and we both picked out the same tree. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? I says owls hey, are... funny, McGee. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I've been hooted at enough for one day. Hand me the saw again. Thanks. Now... Hello there, daughter. How's about... Hey, what you got there, Johnny? Christmas tree? Oh, no. <laughs> we buy our firewood on the hook, Mr. Oldtimer. What's on your mind besides that Daniel Boone cap, Oldtimer? Just wanted to know if you could come out and play. Some of us kids are building a snow fort in that vacant lot up on the corner, having a peck of fun. Oh. <laughs> no, thank you. We've got work to do, Mr. Oldtimer. I'm afraid you'll have to romp in the snow without us. Oh, gee, kids, come on. <laughs> we wanted to choose up sides and play yanks and japs. Only nobody wants to be a jap. <laughs> Well, we haven't got time to play now, old-timer. I've got to trim this tree before... Then you've got a corncob pipe we can have, Johnny. I built a big snowman. I want to put a pipe in his mouth. Oh, give him a cigarette. Yeah, and put a sign on him. Something new has been added. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. Oh, the way I heard it. Hey, what was that? Oh, it's just the dining room window, Mr. Old-timer. It won't stay open. Hey? Who? Well, the way I heard it... One feller says, tell a feller, say, he says, why does Hitler make all his speeches from a beer garden? Well, says, tell a feller, that's so when he starts foaming at the mouth, nobody will notice it. <laughs> Martha Tilton sings, thank your lucky stars and stripes. If you live right, if you get to sleep at night, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. If you feel free, 
If there's sugar in your tea, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. Steam heat and ham and eggs and hay ride and cider kegs if you like the good old Yankee way. So say so if you can sing and believe in anything, you can thank your lucky stars and Do you like it here? Don't you think this country is swell? Do you want to cheer? Ring the liberty bell. Well, if life is gay, if there's fun on Dollar Day, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. If you can joke and enjoy an artichoke, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. Dime stores and bobby pins and hot dogs and Mickey Finns. If you like the way we go about it, shout it. If you can sing and believe in anything, you can thank your lucky stars
Watch your commas, dearie. <laughs> well, did you, Uppy? Oh, no, no. I was never much of a nimrod, Mr. McGee. Oh. <laughs> we called it a hunting lodge because we were always hunting a paw for bridge. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but you really ran wild up there, Uppy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pay any attention to him, Abigail. You know, he thinks he's a great woodsman because he shot a bear in Alaska last summer. Well, that was something. If you ever walk through a dark forest with, with the feeling that something, something was creeping up on you, ready to pounce any minute, and suddenly... Wow! Help! He got me! Shoot him! Take it easy, McGee. Huh? Take it easy. Oh. It's just the window in the dining room. <laughs> it won't stay open, Abigail. But say, where did you get that hat? I haven't been able to take my eyes off it. Oh, do you like it, my dear? She didn't say that. <laughs> just says she couldn't take her eyes off it. <laughs> I tell you, it's just darling, Abigail. Oh, I'm so glad. That's exactly why I dropped over today, my dear, to see if you liked it. <laughs> uh, do you, Miss McGee? Well, confidentially, Eppie, since I'm a plain-spoken man, I think it's the worst monstrosity ever placed on a human head. Oh. It would make a Zulu medicine man swallow his spear. <laughs> I'm a success. What? I just said to myself, if Mr. McGee likes it, I will simply have to give it to my cook. That man has less taste than a nightclub salad. Thank you, Mr. McGee. <laughs> Why, that old flounder. <laughs> so I haven't got any taste, haven't I? Not in half, dearie. Oh. When it comes to fashions, you'd better just do one thing. What's that? Saw wood. Huh? Oh, okay. I got needles galore sprinkled over the floor in the shade of the old pine tree. Hey, Molly, how's she look now? Well, it looks better, McGee. At yeah. least we can get in the same room with it. <laughs> now, if you'll trim some more off the far side there. Okay, I'll get... Oh, hi, Harlow. Hello, Fibber. Hello, Molly. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Won't you come in and get some sawdust all over your clothes? <laughs> Say, what goes on here, anyway? I went out and cut down my own Christmas tree, Harlow, and now i got to shorten the sleeves on it a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've sure got the room in a mess, pal. You've got enough loose branches around here to bed down a rhinoceros. Well, lie down, and we'll try to make you comfortable. <laughs> Very funny, McGee. But what can we do for you, Mr. Wilcox? Well, it's like this, Molly. I'm a little worried about the greeting cards I ordered this year. I'm afraid the sentiment is a little too flowery. Well, read one to us, Mr. Wilcox. Though, personally, I don't think a greeting card could be too flowery. Why, certainly not. Let them drip, I always says. Well, read the blurb, Waxy. <laughs> All right. It reads, The season's greetings to you, my Fran, from the Johnson Self-Polishing Glow Coat Man. I hope that in 1942 and 43 and 44 and 45 and 46, you'll remember all those little tricks I showed you about saving time and dough by using glow coat on your flow. <laughs> on your flow? Well, shut my mouth, honey child. <laughs> you shut it, dearie. Continue, Mr. Wilcox. How it saves your linoleum and keeps it clean with a lovely gloss and the dandy sheen. Eliminates rubbing and buffing, too, and in 20 minutes or less, you're through. Just pour some out and spread it around and let it dry, and then you've found the color and pattern have come to life. And so have you, your husband's wife. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> Your husband's wife. <laughs> if that ain't the corny. Hey, what's that noise? That was Longfellow turning over, Harlow. <laughs> now, it was the dining room window falling down again, but go ahead, Mr. Wilcox. Well, there isn't much more, Fine. but it goes, 
The best of wishes I send to you from me and S.C. Johnson & Son, Incorporated, too. Well, what do you think of it? Okay, okay. I'll get something else. <laughs> Naive character, isn't he, Molly? How naive? Oh, I was talking to him one day, and he looks all around to see if anybody was listening, and then whispers to me that Santa Claus didn't really live at the North Pole. Said he really lived in Racine, Wisconsin. <laughs> Say, that tree's getting awfully small, yeah. McGee. Better not trim it much more. Uh, I know, but I decided that it would look a lot better up on the piano. Well, that'll be nice. Yeah. Then it'll be out of the way. Yeah, that's right. I'll go out and fix that dining room window. Okay. Here. Oh, I cut down the old pine tree. Cause the ones at the store were not free. I told the man at the store. There's a knock at the door. I wonder who that could be. Come in. Yeah. Oh, hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> How are you today, Mr. McGee? Fit as a fiddle and ready to play humor-esque, Wimp. Old shrimp, what's it with you? <laughs> I just dropped in to say goodbye for a couple of weeks, is all. Oh. I'm spending the holidays in Chicago with Mama and Papa. Oh. <laughs> is your wife going with you, Mr. Wimple? Who, Sweetie Faye? Uh-huh. No, she has to stay here and knit. Knit? Can't she knit on the train? Not so good, Mr. McGee. Oh. She broke three ribs wrestling with a policeman, and the doctor says she'll knit much better at home. Well, what on earth was she doing wrestling with a policeman? Oh, she is the instructor at the police gymnasium, Mrs. McGee. Oh. The whole force is just crazy and steady with her. At least, I think they are. <laughs> I'll bet you'll miss her, Wimple. How much? How much will you miss her? No, how much will you bet? <laughs> oh, I, I shouldn't say that, I suppose. Sweetie Face is really a wonderful woman at heart, if any, and I doubt it. <laughs> well, we'll call on her while you're gone, Wimple, and see if there's anything we can do. Yes, we might take her some fruit or something. Oh, I wouldn't advise it, Mrs. McGee. Last time Sweetie Face was sick, some people took her some flowers, and she threw them in their faces. Oh, don't she like flowers? Yes. She loves flowers, but she hates people. <laughs> well, goodbye, folks, and Merry Christmas. And you. The King's Men sing Coming Through the Ride. If a body Come on. 
kiss the body, the body cries. Every little laddie has a bonny little lassie, but may they say, hey, I, yes. All we lads and lassies get together in the heather when we're coming. But we're a-coming through the Yet. No, but it won't be long now, Molly. Anyway, I hope not. This saw is getting duller than a bus trip to Bloomington. <laughs> well, is it still awfully hot in here, McGee? You're asking the wrong man, Mrs. McGee. I'd be hot right now if I was up to my clavicle in ice cubes. <laughs> this is a warm work. Well, <laughs> I hate to keep that dining room window open, but the thermostat on the furnace simply won't work. Hey, have you been monkeying with that, McGee? Who, me? Yes, you. With the thermostat? Yes. Why should I have been monkeying with the thermostat? That's what I want to know. Heck, I don't know anything about a thermostat. I know that, too, but did you monkey with it? <laughs> when? Anytime. Well, say I did kind of tinker with it last night at that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now it comes out. And just what did you do to it, Mastermind? <laughs> well, I was walking past it with a screwdriver in my hand, and the screwdriver caught in one of the little screws, and the first thing I knew, I had it all apart. <laughs> Wonderful little gadget, too. McGee, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. That's a coincidence, Molly. I don't know what I'm going to do with this little dingus I took out of it, either. I couldn't find any way to get it back in there. Well, why didn't you tell me so I could call the furnace man? Oh, I was going to fix it myself when I got time. I'm pretty ingenious with mechanical stuff. You know that. Oh, sure. What happened when you fixed my percolator? What do you mean? It throws coffee across the room like a fire extinguisher. <laughs> and my electric toaster. Oh, well. I have to fix breakfast wearing a catcher's mitt. <laughs> Oh, well. No machine is perfect. As soon as I finish with this tree, I'll fix it. Stop a while and listen to my... Well, you story. go ahead and I'll uh, go open that dining room window. Okay. Oh, for the... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi, sis. What you doing? Who likes you? Sis, I'm currently engaged in giving this deposed monarch of the forest a cross-cut massage. Oh. Hmm? <laughs> I says I'm doing a little whittling on this Christmas tree. Look, do you always drink your milk like a good girl? Sure I do, I betcha. Why? Well, you better, that's all. Take a look at this saw. <laughs> Only three years old, and its teeth are all shot. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you. Okay, mister. Now, I wish you wouldn't bother me anymore now. I gotta finish this job and get the sawdust swept out. Gee, you know it smells dandy in here. <laughs> sure does. Mm-hmm. No nicer smell in the world than a cedar tree. It's one of nature's lures to get us out into the great outdoors. Gee, is it, honest, mister? Sure it is. You gotta realize, this that there's a reason for everything in nature. Oh, What's nature's reason for spinach, huh? <laughs> Why, sis, do you mean to stand there with your little arms sticking out of your shoulders and tell me you don't know that? Yes, I don't, I bet you. Nature gave us spinach so we could have Popeye. Oh. Yeah, I guess I never thought of that, mister. Nature is wonderful, isn't he? She. Hmm? Nature, sis, is always referred to as she. Why? Well, because... Oh, boy, here's my chance to make Reader's Digest. <laughs> this? Nature is called she because it's so inconsistent, unstable, unpredictable, beautiful, mean, gorgeous, appealing, nasty, and nobody yet has ever understood her. Do you think the Reader's Digest would like that? Well, don't you? The name of the magazine, mister, is Digest, not Heartburn. So long now. <laughs> 
the last time I ever try to explain something to her, if I'm smart. Okay. Uh-oh. Aha. Now we're getting someplace. Now to cut her down on the sides. Now, trim the ends a little bit. Get her off there. There. Oh, heavenly days, there goes that window again. You don't have to worry about it anymore, Molly. Here, here's a nice stick I made for you to prop it up with. Oh, fine, dearie, just the thing. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, forget it. It's nothing that any red-blooded American boy could have done. Say, it was very thoughtful of you now, <laughs> McGee. Say, yeah? what became of the Christmas tree? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I got her trimmed down a little too fine. <laughs> Well, that's that, I guess. Now to go to work on that thermostat. No, no, don't do it, McGee. Folks, day after day and night after night on this program and others for the past two weeks, you've heard urgent requests to buy defense bonds and defense stamps. It's getting a little repetitious, isn't it? Well, it's going to get more repetitious. We're going to say it again and often and loud. This is not an invitation to a tea party or a bingo game. This is war, and we've got to do something about it. It's going to cost a lot of money to win it, but it would cost a lot more than mere money to lose it. Now, don't wait for somebody to come to your door selling bonds and stamps. Get down to your bank or post office and lay it on the line. This isn't the other fellow's fight. It's, it's yours and mine. So here it is again. Buy defense bonds and defense stamps. Yes, and if you live in Canada, buy war savings certificates or victory bonds. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox. Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. This is Chicago WMAQ. Jaws for Windows is ready. Bill Bragg and call. Skype trademark 20. Cynthia. Tim K. Frank Red. Patricia Hewitt. Bill Bragg. John G. Benham. Unread messages. John L. Unread messages. William. William. Larry Gas. Plus one eight. Patricia Hewitt. Bill Bragg. Plus one. Unread messages. Michael. Unread messages. Matt Rock. All Skype. Plus one five. Plus one nine. Add an Alabama. Adrian. Add an L. Plus one. Plus one. All Skype. Unread messages, Matt Rock, unread messages, Michael, plus one four, Patricia Hewitt, Bill Bragg, plus one eight, Larry Gass, William Duck, unread messages, William, unread messages, John Oles, Ben Omer, John Gat, Patricia Hewitt, Bill Bragg, Frank Ress, Tim K, Cynthia, Larry Gat, Patricia Hewitt, phone number favorite, 21 of 180 application, send SM, invite a crew, enter, leaving menus, contacts, Patricia, unloading, jaw, hands, okay, enter, here. You are? 
That's Are amazing. You there? That's amazing that you're there. I'm here. Hi, hi there. Between me and Live 365, you're getting a challenge tonight. <laughs> that's Hello? okay. That's why I'm here. You know, I'm supposed to be. Oh, good to know you're there. I'm supposed to be talented to do all that. You know. You are so talented. Nah, I just fake everybody out. Hello there, you're on the air. Merry Christmas, y'all. Holy cat. Well, Merry Christmas, Harwood in North Carolina. How are you? We haven't heard from you forever. Well, it had been a little while, I guess, but I'm still here. That is good news. Yes, it is. I bet I figured that one out. Well, it took reading deduction and elementary dear Watson stuff sure. like that there, you know. From sure, my dear Watson, how are you doing? Oh, pretty fair, I guess. Been worse. I, last time I heard anything out of you, though, you weren't doing too good. I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm doing fine. Thank you. I, very, I wish better, but I'm stuck with what I've got. Well, I'm the same boat over there, but no, I thought about you many times, and just, I don't know how it seemed to that I would get around to calling. Well, we've been cutting out a little bit early, and sometimes you're the morning coffee gang. Well, So we're gone when you make your coffee. Well, a few times that have heard you, you were winding it up, and yeah, that, that let yeah. me out, so. That, I've been but, pooping out four and a half hours, and I, and I poop. Well, I understand that, too. I have the same problem during the day. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're on the same page of poop out. Yeah, I think so. Well, it really is good to hear from you. Tell me what's going on up there. I guess the last time we talked to you, 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 you spent a whole night in emergency, if I remember right, Hardwood. That's right. Almost. Yeah, I agree with you. But, you know, that got cleared up finally, and, well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right, I guess. We've been having a lot of stuff to sew and been pretty busy with that. It just... Run us both down before the day is over, but I guess that's the way it goes. I'm we're glad to have the work, though. I'm not complaining about it. It's just wish we could get more done every day. Yeah. I mean, what kind of work project you been working on? Anything interesting, or has it just been uh, typical stuff? I, I have all kind of things. I'm always doing, trying to improve uh, things and make things easier and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But what I was really talking about was that um, we've had a lot of stuff to sew that, um, you know, Barbara sews the, the stuff and all, and we've got one customer that's been buying a lot more of what we make for him than he has for a good while, and, um, we're just having a problem keeping up. He's buying, so he's after us all the time to get more, and, you know, it's just, uh, not good at you you run down before the day is over but we're doing pretty fair with it just kind of run your ragging mostly what we make for him is a and i think i may have mentioned it to you before i, I don't know um he makes
makes these barriers that work like a, a window shade, except they pull out horizontal instead of vertical. And they're mounted on the, on the side of a passenger at a loading dock or whatever it may be. And um, you pull this thing out and to, to block the access for people not supposed to be going through there. And we make them from, most of them are roughly 13 feet long. Some go up as much as, I think the longest one we've made out of this stuff is like 25 feet long. Um, they're more of a hassle than the 13-footers, but, you know, you have to do what he wants. Yeah. But most of what we make is 13-footers. But we do the, the fabric stuff. Uh, it's a yellow screen mesh type material, and we have to sew a 2-inch wide ribbon on top and bottom on both sides, and these have um, black and yellow stripes on them. And then we put a, a pocket on the end out of vinyl that you put a pipe through that allows you to, to, to pull this thing out. Um, we don't make the winders or any of that, or assemble any of that. We just, just do the, the sewing. How do you decide what to charge? You get based upon an hourly rate at that sort of, I mean... Every... Oh, gener generally, yes. Yeah. With these, we've done so many of them. Um, let's say, you know, most of what he gets is 13 feet. Well, if he walks in, he wants 15 feet or 20 feet. Right. Um, I pretty much have just narrowed it down so much per foot. Okay. That it doesn't get so complicated when he changes length because you're doing the same thing to all of them now. We put stays across about all of them now, which we didn't used to do, but it's a fiberglass strip sewn in a pocket to stiffen the thing so it'll stand up uh, vertically when it's pulled out. It, it doesn't want to sag as bad, and like a 13-footer, he just started putting stays in those uh, two, three months ago, but the uh, 20... 25 foot and so forth they have to have at least three in them so you know we just charge so much per foot plus um like 15 dollars each for the the stays that go across them and if we put them in when we first make it it's a lot simpler than having to go back and modify them. yeah it, it takes a lot longer to modify than yeah. to start with well, she must you do pretty much it worked out for him. Now, other jobs and all, you, you, about all you can do is go by time. Well, that's what I mean. So, I mean, somebody comes up with a, a, an idea that you really don't know until you do one. That's got to be the hardest thing to bid for, bid on, really. It is. It's almost impossible because you, you get something that, well, gosh, this can't take very long. There's no way. And uh, four hours later, you're still messing with it. Right. Uh things seem a lot simpler than than they turn out to be most of the time. But these, we've been making these for several years now, and we've worked a whole heap of the bugs out of it. I've made fixtures to go on a sewing machine to improve things and make it easier and all this kind of stuff. And um, I can cut them now where Barbara used to have to do that, and that mm -hmm. was very time-consuming because we'd have to 
pull it off the roll and she'd have to mark it and we'd have to put a four foot square across it and mark it and she'd have to run back and forth around the table and cut it and all this kind of stuff and then we'd roll it up and all of that's gone now um we have an electric cutting knife which we had then but it wasn't practical to do this but they make these things that have tracks on them that you can mount on the table and that knife will follow the track well you're talking you know roughly four to six thousand dollars for one of these things which we didn't have so i made my own track and attached that to the table in front of the roll of material and now and of course i marked the table to make it even faster you know where we want to cut them and i can cut all the panels myself except the longer ones uh, we only got a 16 foot table so once i get past that uh, it kind of takes two people to help measure but anything less than that i can cut myself and my time's not very valuable so uh, I can do this anytime, whether she's down there or not. Mm-hmm. And I cut them and roll them up, and then when she comes, we start sewing them. So things like that have, have improved things drastically over when he first started buying these things. I use a formula. Whatever I think it's going to take, add 50%. Yeah. It comes out pretty pretty right. Yeah. But, you know, it's awful hard when somebody comes in with something and wants a prize for you to do it. And I don't blame them because I feel the same way. You can get had real quick, but, of course, that shoe fits on the other foot, too. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can get had when you underprice something. Yeah. But um, the ad, if, the ad 50% has always worked for me, but I don't deal in product. I deal in intangible. Yeah. And it's strictly time with no materials, so. So never mind. Don't take my advice. You you get you get back to the deal that if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, it's it's all worked out pretty good. It's just you know our main problem is we can't do what we used to do, and um, I'm a morning person. I get up early and go and go and go and go and. The stuff I have, that runs you down, but, you know, by 5 or 6 o'clock, I'm about ready to fall out. Mm-hmm. Well, Barbara can't get up in the morning. I mean, she's lucky to get get sewing by anywhere from 11 to two, uh, 1 o'clock. Well, now we got two problems. I've worn out, I'm worn out by 11 o'clock. So it's, uh, that doesn't help matters when you wind up with you know, four or five hours to, to sew. But we're doing with it, and I, I guess that's what counts. Well, the problem is you don't sleep long enough. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you're right. That that doesn't help either, but, you know, when you got two people... Well, that's my only solution. I mean, I'm, I'm a night person who doesn't do mornings well, and I have... A T-shirt that says "I do not do mornings," and it's got a moose on it. Um, okay. It's. I think it's more difficult for a night person to try to 
wrench himself into a daytime schedule than it is for a daytime person to wrench in the other direction, I think. Uh, I would be partially inclined to agree with you, however. See, my problem, I used to stay up a lot at night, too. Man, I would I would get on the radio, and I would still be there at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. But I can't do that anymore. And this myasthenia gravis just takes everything you got out of you. And by, well, depending on what I've done during the day, by 5, 6, 7 o'clock, I'm staggering like I'm drunk. I can't hardly stand up. I just... And if I stop, man, you can. If I sit down and stop, you can forget it. I mean, I'm done. I cannot get up. I can't go. I can't do anything after that. Mm. Oh, Barbara, well, Barbara can stay up, you know, to one, two o'clock in the morning. Then she don't want to get up in the morning. Could you do a Winston Churchill and take a, uh, an afternoon nap? I do what, Walden? Do a Winston Churchill and take a nap in the afternoon. Oh well, we do that sometime too. Yeah. She gets started earlier than usual, and we still have to get something out. Uh, uh, that's about the only solution you can can do. Mm-hmm. But you know, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm so glad we've got the work. Yeah. Nobody's buying towers anymore. Let me tell you, or, or nothing related really. And uh, I'm not doing anything in my business, and all intents and purposes, it's dead. I'm here every day, but nobody's buying. So, you know. We when did you see that start? When did that trend start to happen? Uh, it started just a few years ago. Uh huh. But the two-way radio industry is dead in a ditch. About the only people buying stuff like that anymore, and and towers and all for business purposes is is just essentially gone. Municipalities use it. Uh, and things like that, you know, government agencies or whatever. Any idea what, ha- what why it went away? Oh, yeah. Uh, the cell phone was the first problem. The next one was your your um, um, iPhones, uh, Blackberries, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Right. Um, companies started using things like that, just texting information to their service people. Uh, they don't know how big a mistake they made, but they did it, and that's the way it is. Um, but but they just don't use radios anymore. So if you don't use radios, you don't need towers. So that's kind of how that deal works. But uh-huh. the thing is, when they were using radios, they had a dispatcher, and everything that was said, the dispatcher heard it. Well, then when they got cell phones... Um, and especially even worse when the company started paying for them and all the service people had phones instead of radios then the dispatcher hears nothing so uh, guy get done with a job and he goes, hey Joe uh, how about meet me over at McDonald's in about 15 minutes dispatcher don't know nothing about that so they go sit over at McDonald's two or three hours um, we've been in, in restaurants, we'd go in to eat, and have a whole group of service people sitting around a table just having a big time and eating, drinking coffee and all this kind of stuff. When we got through and left, they were still there. During the during the time period, when I'm getting a call on his cell phone, oh, well, this job's taking a little longer than we thought. Uh, we ought to be out here 
in another 30 minutes or an hour, we'll be through. I'll, I'll give you a call and we'll get done. They weren't working. They were killing time. I know Sears had a big deal here at a local restaurant. It looked like a um, Sears service center parking lot. All their trucks parked this place. And uh, I don't know who turned them in or what, but, man, they threw a fit over that and told them they had to be working, not killing time. But they, the whole crowd was going to a restaurant just killing time. And this stuff didn't happen as much with, with two-way radio. Now, one alternative they get now is if the company has GPS tracking on their vehicles. Now, this puts a stop to that stuff. But it can get expensive, and um, most a lot of companies don't have that capability. So they can't call the guy and said, uh, you know, why are you taking so long here? Oh, we ran trouble. And I, well, why's your truck been parked at, at McDonald's for the last hour and a half? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we needed reinforcement. <laughs> well, I think they can track cell phones through GPS, too. Well, they so. can, but see, the average person or company can't do that. Mm-hmm. But see, they with these GPS traffic tracking deals now, and they have them on their vehicles, uh, the dispatcher back at the office can sit there and watch his computer, and he can see every one of those vehicles, where it is, the speed they're going, uh, the time, the whole bit, and he knows where they are. So companies that can afford stuff like this, uh, uh, that's pretty much put a stop to it, but it still hasn't helped as far as towers are concerned because they don't need them. But that's why technology goes. It, it helps. Everything's got its problems, I guess. Well, everything's shifting. Let's put it this way. We are checking a dynamic shift in our in our whole system right now. We're all trying to figure out what's going to be the next move and trying to be two feet ahead of it, basically. Uh, I'm curious. I'm sure um, Larry Gasman and his brother, whatever his name is, has yeah. them, but I'm curious, do you have an iPhone? I do not. John and Larry both do. I, 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 I keep looking at the monthly service charge to have G4, and right now, I I, I can't justify, I'm not justifying that with the stuff I'm doing, so, um, so, my brother does. Um, but he has a Android, but, John and Larry both have iPhones because uh, it works well for the blind, the verbal. Oh, yes, they are, and I think. Yeah. Too often long ago, the Helen Keller Society. It's gotten to the point that most blind people don't even buy a computer uh, now, they just buy an iPhone, and they, they can well, serve for new things. I don't think I would go that far. I know, but that's, that's a lot of them are actually doing that now. Actually, if they haven't bought a computer, they'll buy an iPhone first. Well,. The guy that, that uh, does work on my computer, mm-hmm. um, I think it was his sister. She had an iPhone 4, which is way out of date now. Mm-hmm. But she got a new one and gave him her old one. Well, of course, he's got a, a 6 Plus, which is the latest thing out right. at the moment. And uh, he brought it to me. And I played with it some. And 
I did see that, that the thing was usable. However, I've never, uh, what little I've used it is off of the um, Wi-Fi on our computer in the mm -hmm. house. But um, I can see the use in it, but it will not take voice commands. And I just got fed up with a, even trying to use some things on it. Um, John, I, I, I've been with them. They, they are using voice commands. Oh, I know they are. Yeah. Uh, even the one he has, uh, you can tell it to do about anything. Yeah. And I think the uh, success is supposed to be out in September, and I've pretty much been waiting for that. Uh-huh. I've almost decided to go ahead and and get one. Then I will look into to the uh, service plans after that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, one thing that I did find, it just baffled him, but... Um, other people that has them may be interested on this this particular I guess all of them do now but um, they have a um, app that's FaceTime right so you can see who you're talking to correct well I did get uh, Barbara a, a uh, iPad <sighs> maybe three or four months ago right um, and it was the latest iPad they had. And I called Kevin one day. I said, uh, how can we activate this, this um, FaceTime on here? And everything went dead silent. I said, Kevin, I know exactly what you're thinking. But you <laughs> the whole situation. <laughs> I said, no. I don't want to look at anybody while I'm talking to them. But could you could you activate it and then I'll tell you. <laughs> so he did, and it worked out real good. And I called him back. I said, "Well, I tried this uh, this FaceTime thing last night." Oh yeah. And I said, "Yeah, it really worked great. I could go <laughs> to the back room." And pick up a package, whatever, a can of whatever, or, or a package of crackers, or whatever it might be. And, Barbara, is this what you want? And she could tell me yes or no, that so-and-so. Uh, she could actually read the package. She could read the can. Um, well, if, Bar if, if Barbara's not around, there are, it's a mobile app that you can have somebody read for you. It's a pretty it's a pretty uh, popular site for blind people. Oh, there's a lot of things that'll go on there that the old phone will not do. Yet. Yeah. That's why I'm looking at the new one. Yeah. But the other issue was if I'm wiring something or up near the ceiling or uh, out in another building right. and I, ha I can't bring it to her and she can't come to it, yep. I, she can't get up on a ladder and look out and well, what color is this wire and this wire and this wire? Uh, there's no way, but FaceTime's in color. So you hold a wire in your hand, hold a thing up to it, what color is that one? What color is that one? She's still sitting at the house in the kitchen. Uh -huh. So it's got a lot of very useful applications that I guess the average person wouldn't think about. 
Yeah, like the one with when the blind people love this one that reads labels and things. Like 10,000 people signed up in the first couple of hours of the thing. It was just remarkable, you know, with some of these mobile apps. Uh, that, I'll get to that one in a minute, or what I think. Yeah. Um, another thing this will do, I mean, she can read an envelope to me or an address on a packet. Right. I'm in the shop, she's at the house. Uh, but now back to this. They do have a barcode app that goes on the phone, which I got. Uh, that one is practically unusable. Mm-hmm. I do have one of the barcode readers from Envision America. Uh, it's instant. You may have to look for a barcode sometime with it, but most of the time, uh, as soon as it sees it, it'll tell you what it is. But the one on the iPhone 4 is practically useless as far as I'm concerned. I think it will do better on the newer ones, but I haven't had a newer one to play with it, so I don't know. And then you've got the, on the newer ones, the, uh, oh, heck, what's it called? Um, but it will read printed documents or whatever right. to you. Uh, you just have to get the thing the right distance away and get it level, but they've even got a, um, vibrator on it that will let you know when the phone is level in relation to the paper and you say well yeah why don't you lay it on the paper but you have to move it back five or six inches so it can see the whole page and it wants to be level so this thing uh the closer and closer you get to the level the less it vibrates and once it quits vibrating you know it's right on and then you can take a picture of it and it would read the page to you I'm kind of looking forward to that. Sure. This, this phone won't do it. Well, they've been installing this in the, a lot of stores around the country and haven't activated this, but eventually what they want to do is get rid of currency. Uh, and they're using short technology. To, that way people are paying for items with their phone, and then they can do away with the cash register. Mm. Well, the capability out there to pay with your phone already exists. However... I'm sure they're going to do a whole lot more with it. I've just, I've really got a problem with linking that to my bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, too many things go wrong with people hacking stuff. And you could get cleaned out and it wasn't because you bought, well, it is because you bought something, but the something didn't have anything to do with it. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, a real secure. Um, process. It's interesting, now they're trying to decide what's going to be the next international currencies, because uh, companies who have employees around the world are creating their own currency to pay them, and that way they don't have to worry about the exchange rates. And they're, they're starting to mess with that. You know, you had the, uh, the Bitcoins, Google's messing with one, Apple's messing with something, uh, so a lot of them, and if so, if they break the juggernaut of government putting their own currency, that's going to reshape the entire industry. Well, you know, Do you think it's really going to happen? I don't know why they're putting a lot of money and research into it, Patricia. I, it, it's almost unfathomable for me to think that they could do it. But no, I, right? On the other hand, though, it's got to go back to one central point, mm-hmm. which is the government. It, it's still... 
whatever your company is, how big it is, whatever, uh, it's still got to come down to a common base somewhere. And it still looks like you've got a problem or the potential of a problem. Well, it's interesting. I was listening to the BBC here a few weeks ago. They were interviewing different third world countries and most of them are using their iPhones. Can you imagine here the poor country and all these people running around with iPhones? I don't get it. But, but I don't get it either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't ask me if I have an iPhone. <laughs> Even worse in this country, I mean, Barbara's got a cousin and that little kid she babysat for so long, he's five years old and walking around with a cell phone. Oh, gee, you're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. You are not joshing me. Nope. And I, I'm still having trouble with every, this point. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the third world country, most of them are now not using their own country currency. They're paying, they're, they're, the merchants are accepting their payment through iPhones. So, uh, I don't know, Patricia, the answer. I don't get it. I, I, I have trouble getting my arms around that kind of stuff. Well, I agree you know, with you. And there are babies on the wayside because the mothers just are so exhausted they can't carry the babies anymore. And we're talking, walking around with cell phones. Um, iPhones, no <laughs> Oh, I know it, and the price of them and everything, and I know prices are coming down and stuff like that. But still, um, you know, you got to pay somebody. And then all the access that people tracking you and everything else through yeah. your phone. Um, you and I are on the same track with this privacy thing. I got a new credit card from, I think it was Capital One, sent out replacement credit cards mm-hmm. for some reason. I have no idea what. And he's saying it's so convenient. It's got this little chip, and you just walk past the cash register. I said, and what happens if somebody has it in his pocket and walks right past the cash register? Well, he hadn't quite thought about that. I said, what about the equipment that you can pick up for $59 that will walk past your purse and create a duplicate of your credit card? Well, he had uh, never heard of that. This is the bank calling me. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, believe, I, I'm just beside myself here. I'm sure the bank has heard about it, Patricia. It's one of those deals. You're not supposed to be asking questions like that. I, he sincerely said, no. Well, I think he sounded sincere. If, if, you know how you can tell when somebody's really stupefied? This guy was not only stupid, he was stupefied. I couldn't admit, and this was the credit card company. Well, you know, out here, um, the, it's happening at gasoline stations. You know, a lot of times yeah. people... Oh, gosh, yes. A lot of people put in a credit card to pay for the gas and then take off. Mm-hmm. The these robbers have come up with a device where they stick it in the machine, read the numbers. Mm-hmm. And so some of the gasoline stations uh had to cancel those cards and reissue new cards to us. So I mean And they'll do it with credit cards, not only company cards. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And they're doing it all over the country. I mean they do it around here. Yeah. But you know people yeah. that claim they never heard of this they're not even watching TV. They're watching I mean, you all the time about these things. Three years ago, 
there, I found something, just came across it on YouTube, a guy with a razor blade telling people how to get the chip out of their credit cards without destroying your credit cards. Well, but and, I mean, it's useless. get it. I said, I'm not going to use it. You give me a chip, I'm not going to use it. But uh, she, well, he couldn't get his arms around that. About seven years ago, I went and ran the Spurvac convention, and I activated a credit card, and there was never no charge. And I had to go pay for the guests of the hotel, $7,000 bill. And so I just gave them the front desk, and so they charged it. And Saturday morning, we got a call. They wanted to know, did we authorize somebody buying airline tickets to South America? (laughs) (laughs) Naturally, we said no. So they canceled that. They canceled the card. So somebody at the front desk swiped it or something. So you just never know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a, an email from my credit card company a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. one of them anyway, asking if I had attempted to use my card and put this amount on it. And it's in a grocery store in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, I had so that, something. That was not I who did that. And the only, it's one of these little ones. I, I keep saying, don't increase, don't increase. Because if I lose it, you know, I use it for the for Walgreens and, you know, just little Mickey Mouse things, but I've got a record of purchases. Mm -hmm. And they tried to put something like $700 on a $1,000 credit card. The students didn't even know how little the credit card was. And, of course, it was refused at the counter. But (laughs) how did somebody in Pennsylvania get my credit card number? Well, I I think that it's like Walden said, Somebody in that works somewhere you used it has done something. In a lot of cases, and I'm sure there's other ways they can get at it too, but you're talking about the guy telling you how to cut the chip out of your card. Mm-hmm. You may as well just shred it because what use mm-hmm. is the card without the chip in it? You can't use it either. Oh, it, it, this, it, they come with the strips that you can slide through the card reader. I was saying that. But they come with these chips so that you can just walk by the cash register and say, zippity-doo-dah, I'm out the door. And nobody has come up with the question, well, if I can do it, how come you can't do it if you've got my card in your wallet? Well, Most peculiar. Most peculiar. And when they say how how um, secure the systems are. Everybody doesn't have to worry about a thing. But here's your credit card that anybody can use. I heard today, you know, today they had a major fire in Las Vegas. And one of the hotels had a major fire. Really? I did not know that. And it was next... Was anybody hurt? People were burned. It was by the swimming pool next to the Bellagio. Um... But one guy who interviewed said, well, next to the command with my wallet and iPhone, that's the fire ate up, so I don't have my wallet or my iPhone. And I got thinking, how is that guy going to survive if he's still on vacation and he doesn't have his, you know, ID, his cash money, or his iPhone to show? He doesn't have anything to make a phone call. Right. Right. Wow. Thank goodness for the Red Cross. Yeah. Well, you you know, too, that they always send you credit cards in the mail. Yep. Now, that mm-hmm. burns me up. 
because anybody can take these things out of the mailbox and activate them. Yep. And then you're the one up the creek. Yep. And it, I can't. And now tell me, it comes in a it, plain white envelope. Well, how many plain white envelopes with a stiff credit card shaped bump <laughs> comes through the mail? <laughs> oh, such, dear. such a bank. I hope they're listening to us tonight. Yeah. Yeah, but. On it, it, you know, from such and such a bank or, you know, Capital One or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. it doesn't really take a genius to figure out what that is. No. So I say it's got a bump in the envelope, and yeah. I'm supposed to watch for a plain white envelope. Well, when you take it out of the box, I mean, <laughs> it's, oh, dear. Oh, dear. I, I, well, then fix there. it. I, I will drop this after one more comment. They've been advertising something locally, and I don't usually order things off TV, but mm -hmm. I ordered one of these just to see what it was. Okay. It was cheap. It has not come yet. I think it's called Card Lock. It is a, I'm sure it's plastic, but it says leather look, but they've got wires woven in it that if you keep your chipped card in this thing mm -hmm. not read it. Now I understand Faraday Shields and that's essentially what they're doing. How good it is, I don't know. But yeah. if you're at a register and you take it out and somebody's within range of a reader, they can still get you. It's just they're not going to do it with you walking by somewhere else with it in your pocket. Mm -hmm. That's assuming this thing works. <laughs> Right. But right. it was like $10. For the alternative is to line your wallet with aluminum foil. Exactly. That will do. It will not thing. penetrate aluminum foil. The readers. Yes. I mean, isn't this terrible? It's just like, you know, something out of a kid's Flash Gordon show. Well, if we use aluminum foil, they won't be able to get the radio. Well, we, we are here. I mean. Really? I mean, who would have thought uh, that we would be living in the time of Dick Tracy Richwatch or whatever? I mean, we are... Well, right. the local news here has been warning about the same thing with your car keys, your your uh, remote starter. Yeah. Um, and unlock the car and whatever. Uh, your key fob type thing. And you're telling... They're telling everybody to, even at home, to wrap this and fall. And I thought to myself... Well, why don't you just take a cookie tin or a candy tin and put it in that? Why go to all that trouble? But they can can get the information off of that walking by your house. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. I loved the story about the woman who went to the movies with her husband, and they were watching the movie, and she had put her purse on the floor in front of her. How stupid can you get? And, of course, somebody swiped her purse. And her keys were in it. And all they had to do was walk through the parking lot, pressing the key until they found the, came across the car that yep. chirped. And they got themselves the car. Exactly. Well. You, me you remember what uh, happened to Bill Bragg on his honeymoon? He and Kim went down to San Antonio. <laughs> no, tell he, me. <laughs> he, and Kim went down to, <laughs> he and Kim went down to San Antonio, and when they rest some rest, Bill forgot his phone. And Bill was a little nervous because he had everybody's addresses and phone contacts. Oh, gee, Bill. <laughs> so, 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 
he called his phone, somebody picked it up, and he offered them 200 bucks that they would return their phone, and he, they did. Yeah. He was just, wow. you know. You know. He, he was still lucky. <laughs> I agree. A lot of times. Very. Do that. Yeah. But, you know, we've stopped the deal of snatching purses out of the, 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 the buggy at the supermarket right. or whatever store you're in. Mm-hmm. Right. But they got these little spring clips. Uh, most people call them carabiners, and they're not true carabiners, but that's beside the point. Most people know them as that. And one of the rings on Barbara's purse that the strap goes through, you snap one of these things in that ring. In her case, she's got two, one on each side. And when she drops her keys in the purse, then she's got to dig, dig, dig to find them. So she hooks the key ring into one of them, and the other one you snap onto the the wire frame of the buggy. And, yes, yeah, somebody could still take it, but it takes them longer to do it. And we do that all the time. Now, I stay with the buggy while she looks. So it's very unlikely anybody would take it. We still snap it in. And, of course, mm-hmm. it, she gets in the habit of doing it so that when she is out and I'm not there, uh, she could snap it in there. Now, she don't walk off and leave her buggy sitting somewhere with a pocketbook in it either. But a lot of people do. For people who may not know, there are two new features, I guess, with your cell phone. Well, your iPhone, that are pretty handy. One, if you misplace your iPhone, uh, you, register, you can call your, you can call a number and it'll tell you where your iPhone's at. So I guess it'll a- activate the GPS system. Uh-huh. And the other one is, if you think your iPhone is stolen, you can call a number and it'll erase everything on your phone. I have heard of that. Yeah. I haven't known anybody that And then when you find it, what happens? Uh, you're going to have to probably re-entry everything. I, mean, I don't know if there's a retrieval. Wow. I don't know if there's a retrieval. I'm wondering, but too. There's if, no undo, huh? I don't know. You would think I wonder if, uh, you know, once a week you couldn't download all this to your computer at home. But I think Patricia got a great feat. Patricia, we better take that to the bank. Well, well the undo, but, the undo. you'll erase it, and then once you get your phone back, sure. put it back on. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I mean, when I'm, I don't know how a PC works, but if I move something, for example, if I'm taking an MP3 out of one of my files right. and I put it in the wrong place, mm-hmm. I just click on one of the command buttons and it says undo, and it moves it back to where it was. Mm. Well, it just looks like, you know, you could plug a cable or even wirelessly uh, download all your data. Yeah. In a more secure mm-hmm. location, uh, even once a week. Yeah, you're going to lose some stuff, but you wouldn't lose it all. Yeah. I would think there would probably even be an app out there to do that. I haven't looked into it because I haven't had the problem, but right. I didn't have an iPhone, but still, you understand the point. Sure. Oh, well. Hmm. Now we've solved everything. Hey, we, we might as well go into business and cash in. I think we just come up with a new mobile app. Yeah, right. <laughs> we need to spend fifty nine dollars and start walking past people in the supermarket. Well, they do have one other thing now. My computer guy's sister locked herself out of the house because she walked out without her keys, and her husband didn't have his either because she was going to be driving. And there they were locked outside. Well, he had to go over and get a window open so they could get in and get their keys. So he immediately got one of these. 
locator apps and a and a tricky data go on her keys so <laughs> that if she got you know x distance away from the keys the phone would start beeping and <laughs> i left them now if you look at it uh, on the case of a purse or whatever a briefcase a laptop mm -hmm. case whatever uh if you have one of these in your purse or case or whatever um you know once you've got 10 feet from it or whatever it's going to alert you immediately <laughs> Um, so you had a babysitter in your briefcase. And do what? You have a babysitter in your briefcase. Well, yes, whatever you want to put it in. It's so, fun. uh, it's so funny. I can see where that would be very useful. If that went off, you immediately look around and see who's running. And then you run. Mm -hmm. It's so funny when we drive with John and Lori. They're in the, they're in the back seat, push, bringing us up on the GPS, and they're telling us where we are and how far the restaurant and everything and when they threw the surprise birthday party this year, the younger brother, Kevin, refused them uh, to look at their phones to figure out where they were. And they drove in a circle for 45 minutes, made sure John and Roy <laughs> couldn't figure out where they were well, before they went to the birthday party, the surprise birthday party location, you know. It's more difficult to surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Indeed. So, well, Harwood, it is always fun to talk with you, and I'm so glad you called in. I was just, you know, I have a handful of people I was thinking of this week, and you were in that handful. So I'm, I'm really delighted you to email. hear from you. you. You can always email. I know you don't make phone calls, but you can email anyway. Yes, I can. So, anytime. I will do that. Shame on me for not. <laughs> well, I should too, so I can't really say anything, ironically. <laughs> yeah, but I was the one oh, thinking I, of yeah. you and hoping you were all right. So, yes, indeed, I should have sent an email. Yeah, I've run across your email several times, and I still didn't do anything. I thought, well, I would email her, and I go right on what I was doing and don't do it. So I, I, <laughs> I can't, can't say anything. Like the Bickersons. You can say it, but you won't do it. Do it now, John. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was looking, listening to some Bickersons, I think just today. And my goodness, gosh, they were good. They were good. They were, but I'd hate to have her in my house. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And, and the writer, <laughs> Phil Raps, really, that when I had when I sat down and talked to his son, he said, "Yeah, that's what mom and dad were like at the middle of the night." So he said it was easy dialogue writing. Dear me, <laughs> dear me. Well, I will try to make my yearly call <laughs> sometime. You call you call us more often, please. I will try. Sometimes it seems to be more difficult, but. Uh, I was awake this time and thought maybe I was early enough to beat the closing, and uh, sure enough, and here I am. You did it. Good. And we'll see y'all again. All right, Harwood. Okay, Harwood. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Bye. we just got a few more minutes left because uh, they're going to be doing maintenance here on Life 65 throughout the night, starting at around 3 a.m., they're going to be taking stations down 
with 20-minute intervals and then putting it back up, and I'm assuming they're bringing it back down for the next six and a half hours. So uh, if you tune in and wake up in the middle of the night, you don't hear anything, uh, realize it's, that's why. Because there's nothing to hear. That's right. I was going to say something to you, and it's out of my head. Well, you know the night thing. Huh. You know, you know the night thing about it. Right. It's you a surprise when I think. <laughs> <laughs> you what? have my. You have my number. You can always call me. This is true. I think I was going to add a comment about the Bickersons. The first time I heard a Bickersons skit, and it was with Francis Langford and Donna Meiji. Yeah. I thought, what a witch. <laughs> and I was so irritated that she wouldn't let this poor guy go to sleep that I missed some of the humor in it. It took at least two more shows before I caught on and got swept up in the humor of it. But the first time I heard it, she irritated me because she wouldn't leave the poor guy alone. No. I, You know, it takes the right couple to pull that show off, I think. Oh, boy, yes. Oh, boy, yes. You know, Lou Parker was good. Yeah. But he wasn't John Amici. And I think part of part of the second best with Lou Parker is because he followed Don Amici. Yeah. You think there about was it. something to compare his performance to. Don Amici was a very underrated personality. I agree. You know, you think about it, he, he won an Oscar here in the 80s. Uh, he was master of ceremony for a lot of the radio shows, a great com- comedian foil, a great leading man in dramas, and he mm-hmm. and he was Mr. Chicago Radio in the 30s before he ca- ever came to Hollywood. He was, was he really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. He was the big boy, as Lester Main said, he followed him in three different major roles because he was mm-hmm. the man. He was the first nighter. He was the lead in Chicago. He was the big radio star. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. It's nice to know. That's what we do here. Yeah, and yesterday, I know. USA. I know. They had a movie poster auction mm-hmm. this week, and nothing big happened. I'm really quite surprised. Laurel and Hardy did well, and Buster Keaton did well by comparison to everything else. Uh-huh. Buster Keaton, you know, uh, so you won't squawk. Must have been a World War One movie because right. it looks like he's in a World War One army uniform. That one, in, and this is including the buyer's premium, which is um, heaven only knows how yeah. much. It's yeah. too much. Uh, it was four hundred and thirty dollars, and that was from nineteen forty-one. So I guess it was World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, the big noise, nineteen forty-four, Laurel and Hardy, four hundred and six dollars. Huh. West Side Story, four hundred and six dollars. So, you know, nothing, nothing came out big. I guess all the big was money was on vacation. I don't know. Pale Face with Bob Hope? Yeah. 1948? Yeah. $286. With Gene Russell. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice poster. Sure. Um, but it, it's kind of surprising because of the prices that others have garnered over time. Well, maybe all the money was on vacation. Maybe. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Past archives. That's, that was this one. So I'm ready 
with your questions. Yep. You know. That's what I figured. That's, that's why I. I that, that's sure. That's why I haven't opened the phone. I just figured it'd just be us kid considering we're sort of winding down. Everybody figuring we're waiting. And if we disappear in the middle of the question, it's not our fault. No, and just assume. Boy, I've done a lot of disappearing tonight, haven't I? Well, you've been good lately, though. Mm-hmm. The mouse or the sow? Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have Stump Walden, your brain teaser. I have a million presidential questions, but you may only have one. I have a presidential quote, a first lady quote, and a baseball question. Presidential quote, please. Your presidential quote. This is the center of a larger quote. The cost of one modern heavy bomber is this. A modern brick school in more than 30 cities is two electric power plants, each serving a town of 60,000 population. It is two fine, fully equipped hospitals. It is some 50 miles of concrete pavement. This president was putting the cost of a modern heavy bomber in people terms. Who was it? I came across three names. I'm going to go with my third choice, Jimmy Carter. No. Lyndon Johnson. No. Richard Nixon. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was Dwight Eisenhower. Ah, okay. And really, it it was, I don't ever, I mean, what do I know? I, I mean, I, I don't ever recall hearing that he made these kinds of speeches. Well, remember he his. Must have. I mean, an, yeah. an army general, of course, but. Well, remember his his, uh, his farewell address was to warn everybody of the military-industrial complex. I don't. I think he. You know. Well, maybe this was part of it. The Could last be. line of what has been wrapped in these quotation marks: "This is not a way of life at all, in a true sense. Under the cloud of threatening war, it is." Humanity hanging from a cross of iron. Is there no other world, the way the world may live? Does that sound like his exit speech? Could, could have been. It sounds like it sounds almost. I've never sat down and heard the whole thing, but yeah. it sounds like it. It could very easily fit. It, it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. It begins with every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired, signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and who are not fed, those who are cold and not clothed. And then it goes on and mm -hmm. eventually gets to the cost part and translates the cost of a heavy bomber into everyday items that people can relate well, to. Well, maybe we have to ask Jim Taylor, uh, our presidential <laughs> historian, about that sometime. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think we need to start thinking in those terms, I have said for so long, I can't get my arms around a billion dollars. You tell me the government spent a billion dollars on this. I don't know what that means. Well, I think a good, a good example is if you count one, two, three, four, you know, for, so every second you, you gave a number, yeah. it, it would take, to get to a million, it would take you 24-7. To do it, if seven days to to get up to sure. a million. Sure, and that part I understand. Yeah. But the buying power of it, mm -hmm. had, it has no meaning right. to me when I hear the words one what, billion what, dollars. Or, or but nowadays, if I knew it would build six 
hospitals or it would one trillion debt power for mm-hmm. sixty thousand people. I mean, those are terms that I can get my brain around. I understand sure. those terms. I don't understand the billion dollars. Or or nowadays we're talking trillion, billion, billion dollars or whatever. I don't want to talk about it. I know. I mean, if I can't under if I can't get my arms around a million. Never mind a billion. It's, what am I going to do? It's all play money. With a trillion. It's all play money. Well, it is, but it still has buying power. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I I really think putting it in people terms would it would certainly help me, and I can't possibly be the only person who needs a point of you, reference, you, you're, something you're, that's just too large for me to understand. You're so unique. That's, that's what it's all about. Oh, I am not one of a kind. Please <laughs> do not tell me I am one of a kind. You're special. I'm one of a kind. I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay with that. Okay. We've got Stump Walden, Brain Teaser, Presidential Question, First Lady Quote, and your Baseball Question. My first lady quote, please. Your first lady quote. Never mistake knowledge for wisdom. One helps you make a living. The other helps you make a life. Elna? Yes. Yeah. She was such a wise person. Yeah. Now, anytime you get something really smart, mm-hmm. it's a it's a good dice roll to, to use Eleanor Roosevelt on yeah. that. Yeah. Remarkable Very lady. Very Remarkable lady. Okay. What else? My presidential question. Your presidential question. All right. Which president was wounded during the American Revolution? Everything on the Internet is true now. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go with the obvious. George Washington. No. I, you know... That's really interesting. Somebody must have tried to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't be a general in war and not have somebody try to hurt you. Of course, everybody who was on the colonial side, was people were trying to hurt them. But would we not have heard about a wound as a really major part of George Washington's history? We would have. Or would we? We would have, would maybe. We? You think so? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, it wasn't George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it? We have logically and literally crossed him off the list. Was it James Monroe? Yes, it was. Wow. Very good. Very good. It did not say where or, you know. Yeah. So I, yeah. I have no idea if it was an embarrassment. Mm. But, yes, he, he was wounded. Any kind of a wound is right. a bad thing. Shame on me for even suggesting otherwise. Okay, what else? My baseball question. Your baseball question, really? Now, I have to to do this correctly. Herman Schaefer, who was nicknamed Germany. Herman Schaefer stole first base on August 4th, 1911. He did something that no one else had ever done before. What was it? He stole first base. Yeah, well, he stole first base. I mean, that's a given. But after that, 
He took after the, having stolen yeah. the base, he did something extraordinary. He took it home. <laughs> I think it's very good. Live 365 is going to shut us down. No, he did not take it home. Uh, he went and took it to get Babe Ruth to autograph it for him. 1911, dear. Um, he went and took it to the Here, Ford. That was a terrible time. I'm sorry. He went and took it to the. He went and took it to the Ford plant and asked him to make a tire rubber thing out of it that he could drive it home. Am, am I to take it? This is the equivalent of I don't know. <laughs> You're so smart. Okay, I'm on target there. <laughs> I I want to make sure that I have this in proper sequence. Okay. He stole second base, then ran back to first base, and got caught in a rundown between first and second. And it was a diversionary tactic because his original intention, and he did it correctly, was that his teammate on third base could run for home while everybody was tangled up with him in between first and second days. Oh. Isn't that an incredible ploy? Yeah, very good. Very good. I just loved that story. I don't know if it's ever been done again. It must have been. Oh, yeah. They get, guys get caught in a rundown, and they just try to keep it going as long as possible until they can get a run to score. Until they get a run in. Well, he mm-hmm. was the first one who ever did it. Well, ever, ever. Me, I did not know you could steal first base. I wonder when that rule changed. I don't know. Yeah. Well, actually, he stole second base. Okay. Would that have been a different set of rules that would have allowed him to do that? Uh-huh. Okay, well, I, I think the writer who put together these, you know, the sequence of events that happened here, it said he first stole second base. Okay. Originally, it said he stole first base Got on it. August 4th, 1911. Got it. I think he stole second base and then, you know, you know, broke into this routine and right. just took everybody. Yeah, he probably he probably wanted to try to steal third and realized he couldn't do it. He ran, he got caught in the run, run down. And the guy came home. Be my I guess. I I think according to what I'm reading here, it was a deliberate ploy on his part to get hung up between first and second because. At some point in the game, he knew he was not going to make it home. You know, it might have been the, the last batter. I don't know. But um, he did this deliberately. It was, it was like a bait-and-switch type thing. Right. Pay attention to me over here, and the guy on third managed to sneak home. You're very good. That's pretty cool. Very good. Yeah. Okay, what now? We're down to Stump Walden and your brain teaser. Stump Walden. Stump Walden. There was a radio show named Shorty Bell that ran from March 28th to June 27th, 1948. What kind of a show, what genre was Shorty Bell? Well, it started Mickey Rooney, who directed by William and Robeson. I would say it was sort of a melodrama um, where you had... uh, Mickey wanted to become a writer and basically started to work out uh, in the newspaper industry and became a reporter and tried to break stories. I'm going to stick my head in the microwave. <laughs> Not only do you remember it, 
I had no idea what I was asking you because it's something I got out of John Dunning. I've heard that show. I like the show. We only, and we didn't have recognize it. Shame on me. I even heard it, and I didn't realize it until you started explaining it correctly, I might add. Very good. Hooray! You get two points for that one. Hooray! And that leaves us with your brain teaser. Perfect. Okay. Now, you have to pretend here. The red house is on the left side. Mm-hmm. There's a blue house on the right side. Mm-hmm. Where is the white house? 1600, 1600 Avenue. That's right. Very good. <laughs> Washington, D.C. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Very good. You got that one right away. I usually hang you up on these simple mm-hmm. ones. I know. You're very good you about overthink that. them, yeah. Yeah, you're very good. Yeah. Well, that's your entire list of questions. You did very well. Oh, thank you, my dear. Well, should we go? I think it's time for us to say goodnight because somebody is going to be out there shutting us down pretty yeah, soon. Yeah. So it's, 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 it is uh, 9 after, almost 10 after 3 in the morning, so Patricia and I are going to sneak off. And John and I are away at barbershop rehearsal tomorrow, so we're going to feature Martin Grand by the top of the show. And we'll see else what happens after that. Very excellent. So, so I have to say good night to everybody. I hope so. Okay. Good night, everybody. Thank you for spending time with us. It is always such great fun to be with you. And thank you to Major Bill Grime from Toys for Tots for spending time with us tonight. Hooray. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. And we'll talk to you tomorrow, everybody.
JAWS for Windows is ready. Patricia Hewitt, Bill Br Patricia Hewitt, Bill Gedit, Skype, status online, select a change status. JAWS Professional, Winum Equalizer. Alt tab, Skype, sign in heading level, Alt F4, Fibber McGee, Alt tab, Sunday Night Live Show, Alt F4, Fibber McGee, Alt tab, Leaving Menu Bar, Sound for 